Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It is week, uh, let me check my notes here, 112? 112. I have labeled my notes this week. Just play through it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all we can do, all of us, everyone. I don't label my notes, but... Uh, you do label the Zoom invite. I do label the Zoom invite <laughs> if I have a cheeky idea, yeah. <laughs> and this week... Uh, Clarence Thomas. I and this week's I know Zoom why meeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. One twelve. Um, last week Voyager was the worst. I know as a big shock, but they were the worst, and so we will do them first, and then we will do TNG, and then we will do Deep Space Nine. So, yeah. This week, uh, this we, week watched we watched Think, Think Tank. Tank. <laughs> A blue guy, not played by Jason Alexander, is checking out some cool jellies in a tube and asks the other alien who enters for a Mr. Kuros, like Churros, but with a K. Mm -hmm. Jason Alexander comes out, actually Jason Alexander this time, and he says, you're welcome for saving your whole planet in just a few days. We did great work. Um... Just like my boss's brother in real life, solving problems is what we do. That's uh, <laughs> what my boss's brother says all the time. Um, uh, Blue Guy has a payment problem, though. He says he can't pay and all the cool ore that they agreed upon because that mine uh, collapsed. So, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? Can't get that. Can't get that good ore to you. Uh, Jason Alexander says, pay up or get wrecked, you smurf fuck. And Blue backs down real quick and says, yeah, no, never mind, I'll pay you. Yeah. So they did get their planet saved from whatever was going to blow it up or whatever. But they'll be... Yeah, earthquakes or something. Yeah, they'll be much less wealthy now, I guess. Which seems fair. I don't know. Uh, credits. Uh, Janeway can't be bothered. Just by anyone or anything, because she's attempting to solve the world's biggest and worst Rubik's Cube. It really... It's a very sad prop. I hope they bought it off the shelf. I hope this was a Hasbro toy you could just buy in a store, and they didn't... <laughs> no one invented this prop. Yeah, really, because it was not impressive. No. And also, if I hadn't seen the teaser, if this was the teaser, I would have thought instantly that there was some evil game afoot on Voyager. Yeah. Yeah, well... Because for real, like a clown, she doesn't listen to anything Seven is trying to say to her. Seven's found some dilithium crystals somewhere, which I guess they still need a lot of. I thought those lasted kind of a long time, so you wouldn't need that many. But anyway, what do I know? I'm sure I've told this anecdote before, but uh, 
my wife was not a video game player growing up. Mm -hmm. And sometime after she moved out here, fairly short order after she moved out here, she discovered the game Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, yeah. One of the, was that a tower defense game or something? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a pretty credible tower defense game. Uh, but she had no, she had no immunity to this. And <laughs> there were a couple of days where she was like badly late for work because she was playing Plants vs. <laughs> Zombies in the morning. And I, and I was like, well, I get it. Like, this is a skill everyone has to learn to manage. And I guess they must not play... They must play too much Velocity and Parisi Squares and, like, running around and sweating games in the Federation. No. Because every time they get, uh, like, a mild puzzle game in front of them, they go into a bad Tetris hole. It's really bad. Yeah, I, um... Look, I guess we probably went through that stage in, like middle school or something where it was like yeah, yeah th- i mean i could do homework but like right that was it was sixth grade for me yeah. and it's like the stakes are pretty low when it's sixth grade yeah yeah i'm not late for work or anything um a big explosion rocks voyager seven identifies uh, a hazari vessel and uh these dudes are bounty hunters you know a race of bounty hunters and Chakotay no. seems to think that the Malon are... Not, by the way, not the one we know. Not the race of bounty hunters that have been introduced. No, those different, these are different ones. I guess those guys those... don't hunt for money. Yeah, they they're just for... hunters. And then they stand around and ask each other how their society functions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chakotay seems to think the Malon are responsible, but we've definitely traveled like 10 years worth of space recently, so that seems nuts. Yeah, it doesn't seem like any of their old enemies should be operating here, but, you know, Voyager's not good at that. Yeah. I was surprised nobody said Kazon. <laughs> Seriously, could it be the Kazon? Name some some sect that they hadn't previously mentioned. They'll be like, the Kazon don't even have names for the stars we're near now. <laughs> like, it's definitely, for sure, it's not them. Anyway, we all know Janeway isn't afraid to blow up the ship, so she, like, she gets out of it by igniting a big gas cloud. Get away yep. from these fucks. The bridge is smoky, but otherwise everything is pretty good. Um, then Voyager detects 23 ships after them. So Janeway's going to work solo on coming up for a solution to this. Probably for a combination of reasons. I think, one, she sucks hard. And also, who on this crew would you want to collaborate with on a cool plane? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, she's just going to do it herself, which is weird. Uh, Neelix gives her a pep talk. Then Jason Alexander, the real actor from <laughs> Seinfeld, pops up and says, I can save you with my soft voice and short stature. And Janeway names his group a think tank. So there's your episode title. Yeah. Anyway, he's just a projection. But after giving Janeway some stuff to think about, i.e. the Hazari, they agree to meet face-to-face. Now, would you say he was more of a force ghost or a dad memory? <laughs> well, this is a, those are the two, the two options. Main types of apparitions? Yeah, in space. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it seems like he can give her new information, so maybe he must be a, a, force, a force ghost. ghost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm only a memory. I can't give you any new information. <laughs> Um, on Jason Alexander, the, uh, the actor from Pretty Woman's ship, they meet the whole crew. He's in Pretty Woman? 
Yeah, he's the he's the friend who's also kind of a shit. I think if you watch today, he would just be the bad guy. But okay, back then he was just a shit. A uh, bunch of jellies and dolphin boys and unknown aliens and stuff are the the think tank here. They talk about their mission and their philosophy, and then Nomad, or maybe like Nomad's <laughs> cousin, wants to telepathically <laughs> wants to connect with Seven. Was it Nomad? It looked like him. No, I mean it wasn't a reuse of the Nomad probe from Nomad prop from the nineteen sixties, <laughs> if that's what you're asking. But yeah, it sure did look like. I him. mean, I'm sure York or whatever his name is. Except would... that guy could float around, and this guy just seems to be a. Uh, artificial christmas tree that they keep in the <laughs> lobby i'm sure my buddy york would know all about all the different uses for the nomad prop um without getting into details it sounds like the hazari won't be a problem for jason alexander not asleep under his desk in this episode <laughs> and uh so they move on to the matter of payment and after reviewing voyagers manifest database schematics etc Jason Alexander comes in and asks for a bunch of stuff from previous episodes so that there's continuity and random other shit. But then, whoops, he also wants seven of nine. Yeah. And Janeway's ready to say no, but Jason Alexander, uh, who has appeared on Curb Your Enthusiasm as well, suggests asking seven about it. Like, what does she want to do? And she's intrigued about this group of alien weirdos. Who go around just, you know, biting. perfecting themselves, like in the uh, episode Hollow Ship. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the episode of Red Dwarf. And biting off a, biting off a big problem and seeing if they can f- fix it up real good. Uh, she goes to uh, Kuros to talk it over. Kuros, that's Jason Alexander. Uh, Seven does tell him to eat shit. And then they return to Voyager's Bridge as two Hazari ships approach. And the two ships whip their ass until Jason Alexander of Vandalay Industries gives them a tasty tidbit about the Hazari so that they can beat them. Janeway is not that thankful. Uh, The think tank agrees it's still worth hanging around to see if they can snag themselves a drone after all this goes down. So I guess they're not ready to leave Voyager to their uh, Hazari problem yet. In the next scene, Voyager ambushes and captures some Hazari, and they try to get something useful from the Hazari ship. And then Tuvok snores in, revealing he's been mind-raping the Hazari for hours without success. Yep. I didn't love that. It's not a joke. He comes in and says, I mind-melded the shit out of them, and I'm like, no good. He says, do you remember the most uncomfortable scene in Star Trek VI? <laughs> I did that for a long time. It's been like that for some time now. <laughs> Janeway glibly tells him to hold off on the torture while they scour this Hazari ship. So, that's a scene Star Trek writers wrote on purpose. Yep. Uh, in the Hazari records, the Malon are revealed as the people who requested their capture. So, I guess <laughs> I guess they're still around somewhere, theoretically. But, um... Anyway, whoops, it was just another projection. It was really Jason Alexander and not the Malon. Yeah. So the think tank were the ones who put the bounty on Voyager, and then so that could go in, save them from this threat, and make them, and make them pay money for it. So. It's a basic mafia protection racket. Exactly correct. Um, 
Janeway explains this, this to the Hazari captain who, um, he knows of the thick, the think tank's shitty reputation and he agrees to help capture them. Maybe for payment, maybe for kicks. It's not really clear what he's going to get out of it. But then there's a scene where no one can come up with a cool plan. Yeah. Until Seven pulls a Kirk and cheats on the Rubik's Cube. But then I'm not sure how that helps Janeway because she just <laughs> uses the obvious plan, which is to make it seem like they're ready to give in and plant and give Seven to them and then plant Seven on their dumb ship to do to do business. Right. So I don't know how her cheating on the Rubik's Cube had anything to do with it, but anyway. Well, it was a cheat in the script that they could pretend like those two were connected somehow. <laughs> it's a double cheat. It's the writers who cheated on the Rubik's Cube, really. <laughs> uh, once Seven is aboard the Think Tank's vessel, Jason Alexander, who has um, in the past also voiced several characters on the show Dinosaurs, uh, <laughs> tries to link her up to the, the ship to probe her mind. Or a nomad, maybe? I don't know. Of course, this is what Janeway was counting on, and she sends a cool message to Seven that, like, shuts down the think tank's shit, and as the Hazari attack, Voyager pieces out, like, Jason Alexander's like, you're gonna regret this, maybe, and uh, don't nobody care, because the episode's over now. Uh-huh. What was this treat of an episode all about? I mean, aside from the opportunity for you to go through Jason Alexander's <laughs> IMDb page a little bit. And just call out some greatest hits from Seinfeld. Yeah, just pull out some greatest Seinfeld hits also. Yeah, um, the pursuit of knowledge is admirable, says Seven, but ha it has not improved you. Yeah. So anyway, these TV writers hate science mm -hmm. and scientists, and they've managed to make the lamest thing that actually exists think tanks. <laughs> into an amoral technological menace here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you gotta watch uh, out, dude. You thought maybe it was, um, let's see, this was the 90s. You thought maybe Satanist cults were what you needed to worry about, but nah, it's no, actually it's think people tanks. people who are trying to improve their mind. <laughs> Lynn, look, she's, she's right. You could just keep getting PhDs all your life, and at some point, you're probably not becoming a better person anymore. No. But, but so what? What's the reality of this threat? Why is this show so anti-intellectual? Maybe this is aimed at the 15 people who just want to go to school forever. And it's like, hey, that's not the way to live your life. You guys. Like, there's not even there's not even an argument made here about how these people are pursuing their own individual perfection, right? Mm -hmm. And his whole pitch to her is... Uh, we'll give you the problems that'll allow you to really prove what you can do and be the best person you can be, et cetera, et cetera. There's not even a pitch that, like, this is selfish and solipsistic. There's not a, a utilitarian pitch made here. No. It's just all, it's just like when she told, when Seven told that um, Hirogen that he was just, he was just big. That's You're right. just big. It's only your physical size that makes right. you a threat or whatever. Well, she w tells him, "You may, you may be smart, but you suck." <laughs> really, she does very much tell him to go eat one. She does, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, right. It's nothing. I gave it three, and I could see lower, frankly. Yeah, I mean, look, what I had was the standard. If it sounds too good to be true. For the 50th fucking time, 
it's probably too good to be true. And then I said, if there's something else in there, I hope Judah found it. But... Look, Star Trek is uh, a show where uh, uh, 100 times out of 100, the, uh, when there is a trap, one of the crewmen will say to the captain, <clears throat> it's a trap. And the captain will say, well, let's bring the trap. Mm-hmm. And then it's... <sighs> they just never avoid anything. They no. never avoid an obvious situation for any reason. Voyager, of course, being the worst the worst offender of all of them. Voyager right. will just and, dive into anything. And t- to be frank, they often attempt to make some very bad justification about how it's probably a trap, but we need X or Y yep. because we're all alone out here, et cetera. Yeah, et what are we going right? to do without them like, crystals or whatever? But for sure, also, Janeway is entirely horny for traps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like she needs to feel something, and even if that something is existential terror. I mean, we knew that was true because she hid in her quarters for three months or whatever, and then as soon yes. as the ship was in trouble, she came out like a commando. Exactly. She was like, finally, my time to shine when everything is bad. So you hoped I found something, and I just yeah. took the thing Seven said and <laughs> said, all right, let's let's play in that space for a minute. Yeah, I was not, I was not more impressed with your take than mine, so I, I gave it a four, the standard four for this take, which is but, maybe too much even for just a maxim, but... Anyway, maybe you really loved the way they did this one, though. Um, of course, obviously. Well, look, man, they got Jason Alexander. Yeah, the guy from the TV show based on Tony Kornheiser's life. Listen up. <laughs> How did they pull off such a fucking coup? This is like, this is way better than The Rock. Like I've been hoping to see for many episodes. He's still coming. He's coming. This is better though. I forgot about oh, this, yeah. and it's now a that I've seen name, it, for sure, this is fucking incredible the rock was just a wrestle man when he was on this <laughs> that's right he wasn't even there was a sense in which he was the rock but he had not yet become Dwayne the rock johnson no he was not a movie man he was just a wrestle man on a upn wrestle show which is why yeah, he is got like, to do it his episode of voyager would have aired i don't know on a friday night and if you'd been on the same channel on thursday night the day before <laughs> he would have been talking about how the rock's favorite kind of pie was poontang pie <laughs> that's so. right exactly it's very, you're right, that in terms of star power, Jason Alexander was a big get. Well, the reason I kept harping on the Jason Alexander thing is because I do now remember this being the entire point of the Voyager ads in the week leading up to this episode. Oh, sure. <laughs> that somebody at UPN was extremely excited about the Jason Alexander casting, and the whole ad was just like, Jason Alexander! And it just showed him, like, zoomed in on him, and he was in the ad, and it was like, that's it? You don't care about well, what the episode's about or anything? It's just that Jason Alexander's on it? Okay. He has some facial appliances, and most notably for Jason Alexander, he has hair. Mm-hmm. Um, although the man is not <laughs> averse to wearing a wig and more power to him. That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, he is giving the Costanza squint <laughs> the 100% <laughs> of the episode. The that's really the only thing that's true to form, because the rest of the time, he's this soft-spoken weirdo. He's just like, yes. oh, the Hazari are a real problem for you, one that we could alleviate. But he yep. is giving that squint, um, You sure. made it too menacing. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you, you dripped too much, I don't know. Yeah, they would have... Uh, f murray abraham into it just somehow. like just like off screen at on the witcher filming someone went screaming less charisma right. less charisma like in the game less charisma 
Uh, like you're I, like you're dead behind the eyes. I'm, I'm Geralt of Rivia. No, less. Tone it down. I'm I'm Geralt of Rivia. Um, you're not human somehow. <laughs> no, I don't know how. I'm not gonna explain it to you if you don't know already. Um, okay, these guys do a slightly better job of fooling Voyager by admitting up front that they're in it for profit. Right. Just talking about my my take for this episode. But still, one, this is every episode. Oh, the guys who are here to help, they're not really here to help. Wow. (laughs) And then two, has anyone ever fallen for it even the first time they ever did it? The answer is no. Because what would the episode be about then? So, like, I don't know. Just think of something else. Let's do another thing. Uh, from Janeway clowning around to Tuvok's casual admission of torture to the multiple mentions of the Malon to the very inclusion of Jason Alexander playing a soft-spoken freak. This whole episode was off. I think the plot could have been entertaining in the hands of capable filmmakers, and we will obviously never get to see that. So, um, just a three for me. Um, we get, we'll get an opportunity next week, and I hope we remember to do this, to discuss another ploy Okay, that is used against maybe a ship with a better crew. <laughs> well, sometimes. Depends on what the writers need, but yeah, sometimes. And we'll see whether that scheme seems any better than this one. <laughs> I mean, are you talking about a better crew that often succumbs to zany schemes? Yeah, I mean, they're at the mercy of zany schemes many weeks, for sure. So, yeah, it's another one of those. I mean, let's just say that I'm not talking about next week's Deep Space Nine episode (laughs) of Simple Investigation. No, we're talking about the flagship, the the best of the best, and that just anybody who comes through the fucking quadrant with a zany scheme gets Enterprise good. Always gets them. Um, I mean, look, you're not wrong. This episode is just... Jason Alexander giving long, smug speeches in a soft voice. Mm-hmm. And they don't even discover who set the Greendale fire of 03. That's right. Exactly correct. Um, he's the only bad guy with a voice. Yeah, they the discover... other ones are a bunch of jellies and dolphin uh-huh. boys. Yep. So he's the only character on the bad guy side. <laughs> Everything else is a prop. Um, they discover super early on that he's playing both sides against the middle. And ultimately, they win by turning 709 into a piece of jamming equipment, mm-hmm. which no one on the bad guy ship apparently thinks about. These guys who are supposed to track all the contingencies. Like, yeah. I feel like if she just beamed in there holding a grenade, it would have gone exactly the same way. Yeah, they once Or if they just beamed a grenade over instead of seven. <laughs> Their plan did seem to be just go as far as get seven of nine, and that's it. Yeah. They didn't think about, what if she comes over here and unplugs some stuff, or... Yeah, I don't know. Shoots up the place. Yeah, I mean, she's like, um, she seems to like holding those big rifles. Like, what if she just be over with one of right. those? What if know? she has the enormous rifle from the movies? Or what if she uh, shoots nanoprobes all over? They can do anything. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have a great plan, did they? What if she just comes over with a virus that she's immune to? Like, they got nothing. They had no plan. They were beaten by just. Just setting someone over to do a sabotage. It was very sad. Yeah. Uh, I My thoughts about this episode <laughs> is, are that it is best forgotten about quickly. Yes, I think that's right. And I, I gave it three points for execution. Oh, that's going to be easy to do, luckily. I had forgotten the episode entirely, even though I had seen it probably twice. 
And, I mean, there's nothing to remember, really. And it was one of those episodes that was neither bad enough to be really funny and have a lot to write about, or good enough to, or like have a point that I could write about either. I was just going through yeah. going, I got nothing to say about this. I mean, at least this time you got to describe it. That's true. Uh, world building. Well, Voyager still has a bad reputation, I guess. Who could have a bounty against us? It's not even worth thinking about. Could be anyone. Could be literally anyone in this fucking galaxy. We've somehow pissed off people in the other quadrants, too. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Could it be the Ferengi? Could be. Janeway doesn't want to even waste one minute thinking about who could have set this bounty against them. Mm -hmm. And also, that turns out to be fine because she never could have guessed this think tank because she ain't never heard of it. So. They would have. Re- she got lucky. It would have been wasted time. But, but Chaco was so- almost right when he said Malon, and I spit spit my drink out at home. <laughs> he was so close to being right. He didn't even think about Sam Neil. What happened to Sam Neil at the end of the Sam? He Neill beefed episode? it. They sent him to get assimilated by the Borgs. I'm sorry. I, I we should refer to him as Raywise. We should well, put sparkles on his name. We should actually refer to him as Raywise Sparkles forever. <laughs> ah, thank you, Ben. <laughs> That may be the best sense to have come out of Ben's notes, is that Ray Wise sparkles. <laughs> it's really, really, really good. Yeah, remember, he takes them back to be assimilated, and they just nope out. They just beam out, and then he's just left yeah. there to get eaten up by the boys. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they don't think about whether it could be him at all. Um, yeah. I don't think anything other than the idea that Voyager has a ton of enemies really rises to the level of world building. I don't think it's world building that these this weird space Mensa cult exists. Okay. I mean, so I gave it one single point. It is definitely all about them, all the world building things that you could bring up. And uh, yeah, we ain't gonna see these boys anymore. They couldn't hire Jason Alexander twice. So yeah, exactly. Like you know, he's not showing up again. Yeah, yeah. Although have... it would be great for the trailers. Jason Alexander's back. returns to Star Trek Voyager. Um, I got Jason Thursday Alexander. night at ten or whatever terrible time slot Voyager was in. I have to imagine they moved from what was probably initially a desirable time slot because they were supposed to, like, flagship they UPN. They were the flagship show on UPN, They yeah. probably did move gradually down <laughs> behind Homeboys in Space and stuff like that. So, Jason Alexander saves people's worlds and asks for much monies in return. It sounds like they usually just create a problem they know how to solve, so some protection racket bullshit. Neutronium is a fancy thing to build your ships out of, I guess. The Hazari... Yeah, well, it's what the Space Bugle's made out of. That's right. The Hazari are dedicated bounty hunters. The jelly in this tube is really smart. Again, I think I saw Nomad hanging around in the background. <laughs> Being sexist? It was weird. He's like, this unit is in a cat suit. Nomad approves. Um, that unit is a woman. Yeah, see, I'm glad to see the soundboard is still functioning. It is. I still have all the old clips. Uh, they got a dolphin boy of some kind. This guy claims... And I love you as huge one. <laughs> oh, yes. Fuck. <laughs> the way it's slightly distorted makes it sound 40% pervier. It hadn't even occurred to me. Uh, well, I spent one second thinking about how I could possibly get a clean take of that, and I said, nah, I'll just record it off my speaker. <laughs> it's totally shit. fine, yeah. Uh... This guy claims they cured the Vidian phage. Yeah. Is, is that true? I don't know. I don't, don't think know. we'll ever be able to prove whether that happened or not. But maybe. How could he how, how could he have possibly ever heard of the Vidians? The Vidians must be 25,000 light years at least, away. At least. Because those are some season one dudes out there. 
Yeah. Uh, one and two, because as we know, they were going in circles. Well, they were definitely in the same part of space as the Kazon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the That's ma- wild. They should never... This guy should never have even heard of the Vidians. If this guy if this guy cured the phage, he knows how to get Voyager home. Yeah, that's right. That's they don't what- need to make up this fucking bounty hunter shit. They could just say, like, give us seven and you can go home. <laughs> yeah, actually, once they heard the Vidian phage, they should have asked him specifically how they can get home real fast, because clearly mm-hmm. they get around. I'll be like, well, hang on. So that was... That must have been 20,000 light years away, so how can we get 20,000 light years further? That's, honestly, at that point, would be most of the way. Yeah. Uh, okay, the Malon must have huge territory, because Voyager recently did one of their big jumps, and these fuckers are apparently still around. They might have done two jumps since they met the Malon. I can't remember anymore. I mean, I guess they might have garbage contracts with a lot of other political entities. Do they all have wormholes that they know about and only they know about that gets them thousands of light years? (sighs) I have it as a two, because if that's true about the Malon, that's something. And it's possible they cured the Vidian phage. It's just hard to prove. And... No, that's really it. (laughs) what about um oh it's my turn characterization um yeah everybody hates the stupid shit tp introduces them to but nobody's making these people play with it that's true like complaining about the dumb whatever dumb fad tom paris introduced and then just like you won't even let anyone talk to you you got to play it so hard by the way he probably got this thing from etana jaw who Mm -hmm. somehow ended up in the delta quadrant (laughs) Uh, but then he just brought it back to the ship and didn't bring her. He didn't even have sex with her. He didn't even need yeah, to probably be, like, didn't oh, need no, to be seduced. Cool yeah, he just yeah. saw the toy and went, oh, awesome. Oh, so, shit, if you push the button, other buttons light up? In the 20th oh, century, on. they had something called a tiger handheld game. <laughs> this is almost as good as that. Uh, um, Janeway asks to have the data sent to her about the Hazari so she can see what she can come up with on her own. Uh-huh. What a shock. Yeah, she's a really great leader in that regard, huh? <laughs> she's fucking You know amazing. how Picard always solved all of the problems on his own and never turned it over to any kind of dream team? <laughs> I like, my favorite part was when he'd call the conference, the meeting to the conference room, and everyone would be in there, and then he'd say, all right, all you dum-dums are worthless. I'm going to figure this out myself. Just stay out of my way. And then, anyway, you idiots go do all of the duties no one cares about. I've got to. Yeah. I'm I just look, I'm I am so close to solving Fermat's last theorem. I just got to <laughs> knock that out. And then there's that weird impossible planet orbit. But I am going to get on this. You guys just go back to wiping down the panels or whatever you do out there. I don't know. Yeah, I hate seeing fingerprints on my bridge. So keep Clean wiping. It Clean it up. Also, the lighting and cameras sometimes reflect in the in the panels. Yeah. Do something about that. Tape some tape some black construction paper up, boy. He keeps asking us to do that. I don't know what he's talking about. We always have to put up these black squares. What cameras? A camera is a headband you wear. <laughs> uh, she's not phased at all by Tuvok's admission of mind rape. Um, no. Seven briefly thinks about living with Jason Alexander. Uh, he has also been on the Orville. And... Um, and the rest of his fucking alien creeps. That's how little she likes working with Janeway. Yeah, she does think about it for a minute, doesn't she? She's like, well, Nomad was, Nomad was only a little bit offensive. 
So I could probably make it work. Tuvok, big into mind torture, doesn't even bother to ask permission first, just comes in and tells everyone that he tried as hard as he could to steal the information from the depths of their minds. Yep. Fucking unbelievable. Um, I give it a two. It? I give it a two, man. Is it unbelievable? He's been under Janeway's <laughs> command a long time. It just... It's just like how uh, Trip gets command and all he can run is Archer's bad playbook. Okay, so after the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, this uh-huh. country started to understand, started to have dialogue about what it, torture and enhanced interrogation and what the morality really was there and whether that's something that we should really be engaging in. And I know this was the 90s and we weren't having those dialogues as a country. No. But in the fu- the idyllic hippie space future of the United Federation of Planets in Gene's Star Trek, would you yeah. just be like, we got, we just gotta blast this dude's mind to get the information we want? Like, yeah, there's like for sure no episode of TNG where because they're on a clock, they resort to some twenty four style tactics. Yeah, I. Uh, it would Picard would find it demeaning. I actually, I'm starting to really push back when people try to lump the 90s Star Treks together because I think no, it's much they, more of a it's TNG and then Gene died and then you had DS9 and Voyager and the end and of I TNG. Gene wasn't really running the show for the last couple of seasons of Deep Space well, for the yeah. last couple of seasons he was alive for Deep Space Nine and the first couple of seasons of Voyager. Yeah so like that's I think we should really say TNG because that was Gene. And then yeah. DS9 and Voyager are something else entirely. And that's why they feel like it. Yes. So, no, there's no 90s track. There's just pre and post Gene. Kind of. Look, the man was not perfect. He had a huge blind spot towards women. Yeah. And he th- he really wanted the show to be porn. nonstop fuckfest. He wanted it to be space porn. To be extremely horny. He's always wanted to have sex on the space shuttle with a space prostitute. A space prostitute, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, and um, look, Gene died in... I want to say like 92? 92. Yeah, I think. Yeah. There was not even internet porn. Yeah, no. I mean, he couldn't you could get find... it out of his system. Anything he had to like find he had a... to go to a newsstand and get a hustler. Yeah. Anything you could do on the internet in the 90s was some pretty slow going business. Yeah. It was just but like... he, there's a difference between. Oh, I don't know. This episode of Voyager was probably 97. Well, season 99? five. That feels right. No. Well. Yeah, 99 feels right, actually. Yeah, something like that. So you could probably download it. So there was porn by then. You could have an image. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't fast. I was just saying. It it was a picture gallery and not a video for sure. That's what I was saying. It'd take a while and the thing would roll down the page and you'd say. uh, But there was semi-competent search, so you could even see the specific amount of pubic hair that you were interested in. You could say to your friend Ira, you could say, Tony Braxton, huh? (laughs) <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't have anywhere to be, so let's just wait for this image to download. All right, one line at a time, I guess. Okay, but that's not really her, though. Right? You know that. Okay. Well, no, you understand, right? He knows. Yeah, I get it. No, it's, I know what if. I, yeah, I see it. It's her face. I get he, it. He gets it. Okay. All right, well, I we'll understand. sit here. What if she What if she had a different woman's body? Yeah, that would be exciting. <laughs> uh, characterization. Yeah. Seven of nine is like eighty percent of the way to being Janeway's XO now. Uh yeah. I mean She just takes her on the away missions. She um when she 
showed up as soon as she showed up didn't we start we started talking about how it seemed like she was already second in command yeah so well even aliens at this point understand that she's the most interesting thing going on on the ship hell yeah so that's a real successful push by the producers <laughs> um i don't know if janeway did anything this episode i'm sure tom paris didn't and i don't think anyone else was in it no i think harry kim makes a joke about how the rubik's cube was ruined him or something right yeah well when i guess two i guess tuvok has one bad scene huh yep <laughs> i can't remember anything else he said or did in this episode for sure i bet yeah, he so. stood behind the console and said the shields were down to 78 percent or something feels like a two we don't really learn anything about seven yeah and at the end she's just a bomb yeah <laughs> she I, I honestly if she had just opened up her arm and had a bomb in it like data did in uh cupid <laughs> The bomb. You know Data's you know, arm bomb? The bomb he carries around. It's Just put in it the in any manual. fire. It's, it's a in, huge bomb. It's in Okuda's tech manual, for sure. Oh, yeah. Data's arm bomb. Oh, definitely. Just in case he needs to cause a distraction. It's a very weak bomb. It doesn't hurt anybody, but it is distracting. Uh, just for a second, I do want to find out if I have duplicates of these clips from Justice, because I have one here that I will TNG Justice, too. Oh, let's see. And I was here huge one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that so, sounded like better quality somehow. Hold on. And I nah, same clip. Also, there's a fucking annoying bird in the background of that clip. There's I just noticed, like, 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 fucking Barry recorded it. Uh, there was a lot of bird stuff in the Masterpiece Society, if you're interested in that, by the way. Um, at, well, but was it piped in like it was in Who Watches the Watchers, which I thought was a very well, interesting choice. <laughs> there was no eagle's cry, if that's what you're asking. And then an earth eagle comes up behind him from earth and goes, Rah! it's glorious. And then you look up and it's got a you look American up, flag bandana. And it's, and it's an eagle from America on earth. And everyone just goes, I guess. Oh. Uh. That's Hodgkin's law of parallel planetary development for you. Uh, what about quick ones? Um, yeah, well, I guess they got Jason Alexander, huh? They really did. They nailed it. He gets... He has a lot of lines this week. I mean, f- the, fuck, for fucking name, yeah, of course. You got Jason Alexander. You got to use him. Honestly, he earned he earned his whatever his outrageous appearance fee must have been because... <laughs> He had a lot of lines, and they were stupid. I mean, all the dumb and lines he, he had to say to the empty room uh-huh. full of props? Uh-huh. <laughs> he had to act like that robot was having a conversation with Seven <laughs> that no one could hear. I always feel bad for guest stars, but for, I think Jason Alexander probably found it funny. That would be my guess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know about this bop it. I know Starfleet's pretty naive about this stuff, and everyone fell hard big time for those cones and frisbees, but Jesus Christ, this prop. Uh, Again, the 50-year-olds in the 90s who were writing this had so little experience with, apparently not just like what we consider video games, but any kind of electronic toys, that they just had no idea what... They didn't give any direction, and the props people were just like, I don't fucking know. Oh yeah, they for sure thought their nephew's Sega Genesis was a kind of Nintendo. Oh, that's right. It's going to say, oh, yeah, I think my uh, nephew has uh, some kind of Nintendo. Some yeah, kind of Sega Nintendo? Nintendo? Maybe a Nintendo. Some kind of Sega Nintendo. Yeah. Thanks. It's got more bits. Um, This, of course, was a ploy, a plot by this think tank. Um, But there probably are real bounty hunters hunting Voyager, right? 
Uh, if they're not, then everyone needs to get... We've been talking about it for a long time. Everyone needs to get their shit together, form a giant alliance, chase down Voyager, and destroy them. It's actually imperative. Yeah, it's very bad. Like, these people should be putting aside wars to settle this problem. You should stop everything you're doing in that quadrant and get these pirates. And then write in your history books about the times, the time that you all united to kill the pirates. Yeah, we can get back to fighting over the Arcanist sector after we take care of uh, Voyager. (laughs) Yeah. The Voyager problem. Fucking Space Mensa. Yeah, man. They're the real problem. Nah. Nah. I don't want to go into it. Mensa, <laughs> Mensa irritates me ir- irrationally. Okay. I like that it was the beginning of a question to me, and you just uh-huh. nah, never mind. <laughs> no, I don't want to. So I guess, um, yes, I did. Yes, it has, and yeah. I did. Um, Did you see Jason Alexander's buddy, Fenom? Mm, see, the one who couldn't talk so good? Well, he didn't talk real good. Also... His robe had a bunch of squares on it, mm. and each square had a different thing hot glued to it. <laughs> and I think he had a f- complete set of Hot Wheels. <laughs> like if you, if you did front and back, I think he's got all of them. Nice, good for him. Well, that's his. He's got that's... a fucking Bone Crusher and two <laughs> Jets and all of them Hot Wheels. He is trying to. That's his own form of perfection. Is uh-huh. collecting all of the Hot Wheels and displaying them on his gown. <laughs> So that when you meet him, you know what a big deal he is. He's got all the Hot Wheels. Uh, we talked about this offline, but do you think Jason Alexander watched the Red Dwarf episode Demons and Angels before this performance? <laughs> or is it just another episode of Red Dwarf did it better because Red Dwarf knew it was ridiculous? Yeah, I think that's the second one. I think uh, Jason Alexander just showed up. I think he showed up. I think he probably hadn't read the pages and he showed up. Well, then you explain to me why... When he went back to his ship, when he went back from being a hologram in the mess hall, he said, banks to enlightenment, transmit. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that is kind of a giveaway. (laughs) Yeah. Huh? And thought about that. Um, Then I wrote, and this is still pretty early in the episode, I have a suspicion that what these guys are going to find unique about Voyager is Seven of Nine. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I wrote, there is very little surprising about this episode, and then I stopped taking notes. Yeah. Yeah, again, they mentioned some things. So that you know that whoever wrote this has seen other Voyager episodes. They're like, right. Quantum Slipstream Drive. Well, I think what it really was, was they uh, they sent a, they put a note in for the uh, science advisor. Look up some Grey stuff from Voyager whatever, and put it in there. For examples of previous technology that Voyager has. Yeah. Uh, I gave Best Actor to the Christmas Tree Robot, so that lets you know how I felt about this one. <laughs> and uh, Worst Actor, Neelix tries a joke uh, uh-uh. in this one where he asks Janeway if he should get a hypo spray so he could just inject her with caffeine. Uh, except he doesn't say it like a joke. He says it like he's legitimately concerned about her. <laughs> and it's like, what a weird read. A Jose Canseco bet. Tell, Tell me. me. You didn't pay you didn't money pay for this. money for this. What? Huh? <laughs> That's a weird... What? What do you what mean? A weird read. Do you think I stole it? I'm confused by your question, even. What's happening? I was probably 40 when I realized that was just a bad read. <laughs> but it did stick out in both of our minds forever. Yes. Like, it's such a weird thing to say. Why did he say That's that? At some point I was like, oh, it was probably supposed to be, tell me you didn't pay money for this. <laughs> <laughs> I had only one quick hitter. Yeah. Jason Alexander will be on an episode of Star Trek Prodigy this year. All right. 
so there he's you staying go. with the franchise there you go everybody he's back back in business i wonder if he's ever been at uh, stl um uh, that's a really so. good question see, yeah look up his imdb and see if he's ever voiced anyone in i'm pretty sure that his character has not but i uh although the hazari have Wow, the Hazari. Well, then why not the Think Tank? Maybe no, they're it's in the coming. Delta Quadrant arc, so that makes sense. Coming soon, dude. The Think Tank plot the is going to come yeah. after Emperor Wesley Crusher or whatever. Yeah, after they finish, after they finish wrapping up, you know, their take on Star Trek One. It really is. They're just like, here's two or three things from previous Star Treks. It's our new rollout. <laughs> Should, I mean, you remember game is, this game is 12 years old they've really covered I most know. things well that's what i'm saying maybe they will also find a way to pay jason alexander enough money to get him back in the fold yeah maybe you think his quotes going up or down that's kind of well for a while i would have said down but i am um, nostalgia's just so huge now Nostalgia's big, and not only that, but uh, Seinfeld came back to streaming yeah. just, what, 18 months ago? 24 months ago? Yeah, so he's probably, he's probably, he's probably, he could demand a pretty good sum, would be my guess. Yeah, you're probably right. Also, he's got this on his reel if he ever needs to show it. <laughs> oh, man, I hope his reel is nothing but weird bit parts he did. <laughs> And then he's like, also, by the way, I'm Jason Alexander, so you're familiar with <laughs> my work. My work. And my entire oof, basically. This is your punishment for asking for my reel, is you get to see me as Kuros in this an episode is, uh, of Voyager. This is one of, the guys, one of the voices I did on Dinosaurs. This is a pretty good one. Hey, there were 15 minutes of the same Star Trek Voyager episode in his reel. <laughs> That's not normal, right? I think he was talking to a jellyfish in that one. Uh, that's it for Voyager. Did that one? Yeah, we did. Right, As usual, took about spent about forty five minutes. On <laughs> Stuff it. that one into the dustbin of time and never fucking look at it again. It's gone. Yeah, second place last week was TNG, mm. and this week we watched the Masterpiece Society. <laughs> More like the Master Bait Society. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a character named Hannah Bates. Oh, shit. You know, you know that poor girl grew up where someone said, oh, you mean Hannah Bates? And then someone else said, yeah, she does. <laughs> she was a nerd. This is good. I like where this Ah, uh, the Enterprise is in the Moab sector. Mm-hmm. That's not in Utah. It's no. in space somewhere. It was named after uh, Utah, though. Yeah. Uh, tracking a stellar core fragment uh, when they suddenly discover that one of the planets this thing is going to pass by is inhabited. Oh, this happens a lot. They just yeah. have no idea where any colonies are anywhere. Yeah, it's uh, one fascinating thing that maybe Enterprise could have touched on but didn't. This lost age of human colonization because... Mm-hmm. They find an old relay, they make contact using 100-year-old subspace frequencies, and yeah, yeah it's a human colony. It's just Humans. a colony of people who mm-hmm. left Earth and settled on this planet, and nobody knew about it, and it must have been intentional because no ships even are recorded as having disappeared near here. Yeah, it's like the 26th time they've come across some weird random colony of dudes, of human Yeah, dudes. internally, they, t- they talk about it as a Mariposa-type colony. Yeah, they must. <laughs> um... 
Or maybe whatever that planet Jameson was dealing with, if those guys were human. Sure, maybe that Shellyak planet. It's hard to say, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. just a lot of them. So these guys want no contact with outsiders, but they are going to die, and Picard wants them to evacuate. Mm-hmm. Uh, their leader, Aaron Connor, allows Picard to send a small delegation, even though no one has made contact in hundreds of years or whatever, and Picard doesn't, I guess, want to get his hands dirty with this one because he sends Riker, Troy, and Jordy. Yeah. He asks Riker before he goes down whether he thinks he should bring feathers, just in case. Yeah, well, he heard Data also on the bridge ask whether they had any cool aqueducts, and so he decided to send somebody else. <laughs> just in case he's kill crazy. Sure. Um, Aaron, and I'm going to refer to him by his first name because that's how everyone is referred to in this He's episode only the on this planet. chief administrator or whatever his title uh-huh. is. Yep. Everyone calls him Aaron. Uh-huh. Aaron tells them Moab 4 is an engineered society. Uh, selective breeding for eight generations have improved the species and given everyone the perfect genes for the job they're assigned at birth yeah, in man. this perfect society. You know about the genes that make you so good at, um, oh, you know. Waste management? Standing, somebody's, got, somebody's got sewer genes. The person has to come over and fix the self-checkout console every time it breaks, which is every time it's used. Yep. You know, that person. Yeah, look, <laughs> I don't know what it means because they just look like normal, regular people to me, uh-huh. honestly. Oh, yeah, it's not like they have, like, weird physical differences that make it seem like they'd be really good at it or something. It's not like, um, this is is Jamie, he's our construction guy, and he's, like, huge. He's, like, a nine-feet tall. arms for moving girders or nothing. (laughs) It's just normal people. It's just, uh, honestly, whoever whoever was available in uh, UPN casting that day. Honestly, you're not wrong. It was a lot of soft in the 90s. I didn't see any jacked in the aughts on that whole planet. No, there was no, just not jacked in the aughts for sure. Yeah. Um, Aaron's bro Martin puts his foot in his mouth right away about Jordy's blindness. Yeah, because they wouldn't have they wouldn't have let that happen. Nuh-uh. <laughs> you just no way. To say it. It's important to say it. And, you know, yeah. you can't let that one go because you have to tell the people who came to your planet as many times as you can about how your planet's perfect. Yeah. And anyway, these guys don't think they can separate themselves from this planet without destroying the, quote, balance of their society. Don't worry, they explained it in great detail so you don't have any questions afterward. Uh-huh. They talk a lot about how the society was designed to function in this particular biodome, and listen, you can't. It wouldn't be the same on Draylon 2. That's right. Do you want to live on Draylon 2, they say? And fucking Jake is right there in the background. You can see him shaking his head. No, I would not want to at all. It turns out that Martin is like the chief justice and head of the Federalist Society. He's very arch. (laughs) Whereas Aaron is more of a smooth talker, skinny Bill Clinton without a saxophone type. Mm. Um, He tells them this. Five years before Bill Clinton is elected. That's how he describes himself. It's terrible. Yeah, it's very interesting. And also, I I would describe him as maybe as kind of like a sick bird. Yeah, he. you're right that he has kind some of pale, sick bird DNA. Kind of pointy. He introduces them to the chief scientist, or he just says a scientist, but it seems like she's the only one, Hannah Bates. Yeah. yeah. And everyone agrees immediately that she's Geordie's problem, <laughs> because Riker starts talking one second after they meet her about how, well, he and Troy are going to fuck off. 
but but then Troy gives him a fucking withering look. Yeah. And she tells him she wants to stay and walk through the gardens with Slick Willie here and talk about <laughs> how they're both observers of the human condition. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Hannah Bates has been working on some kind of multi-phase tractor beam, but she can't generate enough energy to make it work from did this she, planet. I forgot. Did she say why she was working on that? Because it didn't seem like they knew about this thing that was going to blow up their planet. Oh, she said they found out about this thing like a couple weeks ago. This was the first fucking thing that popped into her head. Oh, okay. Because they seem really surprised when Enterprise comes and is like, hey, you got this thing coming. You're going to have to watch they, out. They're surprised that Enterprise is there, but it, it uh, turns out that they were aware of it. And um, also they were for sure going to die. Yeah, they didn't like build their thing good enough. Their thing's not built good enough is all. That's yeah. all. Enter- Enterprise has enough power to make this tractor beam idea of hers work, probably. Um, but that means she has to go up to the ship. Martin doesn't want her to leave. Aaron lets her go, and Martin just mean mugs him and shakes his head. Yeah. Doesn't this guy know Thomas Jefferson hated transporters to hell? He said it. It's a famous quote from TJ. Yeah. He said, if I were to meet St. Peter at the pearly gates, uh-huh. and he asked me how I got here, and I had to say a transporter, then I, I would lie and say I took a taxi. Yeah. That's a TJ quote. Verbatim. Yep. Um, Troy tells Picard that her read is that some of these people at least would rather die than evacuate. And Picard seems very angry, except he's angry about the whole idea of genetic engineering. Yeah. Except is he actually angry about this planned society and he just talks about genetic engineering and the qualities they're trying to breed out of humanity because he knows that's an easy straw man and it's hard to argue against? <laughs> Because oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked these questions. Because I'm going to spoil my uh, take right away here. I, none of the problems that this society has have anything to do with genetic engineering. No. Yeah. I but mean, I wouldn't what think they so. talk about all the goddamn time. Yeah. Well, Jordy is so worn out from his tractor beam work that he takes his visor off to rub his temples. Uh, and Hannah Bates is pretty fascinated by the whole thing because, you know, they don't have birth defects where she comes from. They never would. And although a worse show, by which I mean this show, would have made this fascination sexual, a la, you know, First Contact. <clears throat> yep, sure. Or maybe even the one with the androgynous society. I'm pretty sure. Or Wrecker, maybe that one. Pretty sure Wrecker's just um, a Fat, little just, bit. Just fascinated by the yeah, unknown there. Exactly. In this case, the reason we have this scene is because some dumb tech talk about how the visor works leads to a dumb I tech solution to the tractor beam issue. I couldn't. You know what? I could believe it, but it was audacious. It is It is audacious. <laughs> the trick is they got to do it in pulses. The writers fucking tip their hands, though, because Jordy is immediately crowing about the irony of mm-hmm. uh, saving their planet with technology made for someone who wouldn't have been allowed to exist in their society. He rubs her face uh, in it so hard. As if that's what the episode is about again. Yep. Uh, and he's crowing about this shit before they even run Simulation 1. Like, literally, they could program this shit into the computers, but not 100 times out of 100, the Enterprise exploded. So <laughs> that's, it was a that's good a no idea, go. but it was a dead end. It was no go, and now I regret those things I said to and you. I sure, boy, I sure <laughs> talked a lot of shit. Anyway, the, the writers want to make sure that nobody misses the irony. Yeah. Which also explains, except that, of course, one second of thinking would be like, well, but you just wrote it that that was the solution, so. Yep. 
I'm not I'm not super impressed, honestly. Yeah, great job where you just pointed out the thing that you wrote. Congratulations. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh back on the planet, a twelve year old plays Chopin's Prelude number twenty four, a five hundred and thirty year old piece of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one comments on the fact that it was played at Chopin's funeral, or mm, on the fact no. that apparently no new music has been written in 500 years in this planned society, so mm. I guess that's just an Easter egg for me. Oh, no, it's not. I have notes. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, what the writers do for us is they have Aaron and Troy recite Humpty Dumpty and talk about how any change in this society is going to mean chaos, and then they make their lips touch a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love it. I'm going to admit it. Yeah. Uh, Jordy and Hannah have made enough of an improvement to the tractor beam that, along with some shield tech they're going to install on the colony, there's just a chance, but it's going to mean sending teams down, and you know who's going to hate that? Martin. Martin. Yeah. Uh-oh, it's Martin. Uh-oh. I could give that guy a spinoff and just have him mug at the camera. It's Martin. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Troy tinkers on the very public piano, and... Mm-hmm. Tells Aaron she's going back to the ship and she isn't going to see him again. And she could fall in love with him so easily. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, a man wrote it. What do you mean, why? You've uh, seen... A you've man seen this, wrote it? You've seen this post, this uh, tweet that circulates all the time where it's like, uh, girls be like, he's so unique they broke the mold when they made you. And then it's uh, Connor, the human equivalent of a Honda Civic whose favorite <laughs> food is buttered toast. <laughs> Well, that's Aaron. So, again, why? Uh, The ship engages its tractor beam, begins trying to nudge the stellar fragment. They need a 1.2 degree course alteration. By when? By what point in the trajectory? They don't explain. Don't worry about it. So don't think about it. Don't think about math in this episode at all. No, why would you ever think about math in a Star Trek episode? Uh, Some of us have uh, badly broken brains. Yeah, you should. That's a you problem. You need to work on that. Oh, it is a me problem. 100%. (laughs) They said a 1.2 degree course alteration. Well, okay. I guess "Mm." I'll think about it. All right. But I'm waiting for more information. The further you are, the less you're going to need to move it. I'm waiting more information. I'm sure the information's about to come in, and it's a new scene. Okay. (laughs) Well, circuits begin blowing. Life support begins failing. Once again, we have a five second countdown to total life support failure, and everyone acts like that means everyone will die, yep. and not yeah. like, okay, now there's no life support. In, so in 10 or 12 <laughs> hours, it's yes. going to be uncomfortable in here. That's right. This is a very large dome, and we'll actually be okay for a little like, while. Uh, you know how when life support fails, uh, you, all the oxygen disappears from the whole ship. Instantly, like a snap of a finger, and you all just yeah, yeah, die yeah, yeah, on yeah. the spot. Yeah, like um, the time seven in that cargo bay. Yes. Just passed out, wasn't it? As soon as the meter said, life support has failed. And I was like, wait a minute, that room's fucking huge. No, there's there's 48 hours of air. Ask any trapped miner. There's hundreds (laughs) of hours of air in a room. She's literally the only person in a fucking Uh giant cargo bay. I think she's Uh going to be okay. She will be just fine. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, they just barely hit their number. Everyone's happy. But Matthew, there's so much time left in the episode. Yeah, I know. I also saw that. And Hannah Bates has a look on her face, and it's a very Timison look. Yeah. It's, uh, She's shooting Timisons here. It's almost as if they forgot they wrote that one. They did forget, <laughs> forget that episode where Rolaren came in and said some king shit, and the guy from MASH just fucking owned the whole series. Oh, and I cried on command, and everyone just went, uh, what's happening in was, this room? He was just like a huge dude, but he was clearly a very sensitive man. There's two people in this cry. room, and they're yeah. both crying on command. What's happening? Yeah, The so producer like anyway. actually ruined the scene and came in and asked if everyone was okay. 
they did forget that much better episode where <laughs> e- it turns out that even a kind of so and so, a kind of so so actress like, uh, well, you know, uh, walks, walks on a Troy, on a Troy yeah, uh, can do Bayer. some good work if you put her up against real actors. Yeah. Yes. If you just just give her something to play off instead of, you know, doing and computer that's the voices plot. or saying Mr. Wolf. And that's the plot of the episode and the science uh-huh. is in the deep background. The deep, uh-huh. yeah, deep yeah, yeah, background. Yeah, yeah. Deep, deep, yeah. deep, deep background. Yeah. yeah. And it's gonna, that's about saving the whole planet, too. Anyway, they forgot they did that one. You're right. <laughs> so she's shooting them Timison looks. And what's the new drama about? Well, mm. the crew's being back. An alarm sounds... There's structural damage and the biosphere may be breached in hours. They might have to evacuate after all, except Jordy's visors. Ah, He's right there. It's double irony. With his his irony visor. It's the double irony. You know, you got to watch out for it in Star Trek. He knows it's pure bullshit and he wants to know why Hannah Bates is is doing this. And it's the fucking same old story that they've in every Prime Directive episode. She saw too much on the Enterprise. They've fallen too far behind technologically. She can't do it anymore. Jordy tells her maybe necessity is the mother of invention. Because these writers don't know how science works, he doesn't yeah. tell her that maybe millions of scientists on thousands of planets working <laughs> together are always going to get ahead yeah, of a handful I just of looked people around in a single and, biosphere. Um, there's only one lab coat in here. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, that makes me worried for how fast you're going to advance. It's like uh, you you never heard about standing on the shoulders of giants or anything. And <laughs> like, yeah, like, of course you're falling behind. But no, they don't make that argument. He's just like, maybe it's too perfect here and you need a little imperfection in your. It's like, well, OK, you're still trying to make a point because you're still salty about these people. Yeah. Anyway, she wants asylum. Others on the planet may want asylum, too. Uh, all those teams they sent down to put up shields, well, they made some contacts. Yeah, they started chatting. They um, went up there but, and they said, hey, man, you ever had a banana split, motherfucker? <laughs> you got like, that no, we, in your colony? No, we only have protein cubes. We eat the protein cubes because they help our genes to be perfect. Yeah. They're good. They have peptides. He said, well, I've been told by the captain to introduce ice cream to as many people as I can. And That's right. I brought something for you. You're welcome. And that was it. Well, but we laid this problem out right at the start. Um, this colony is is all planned down to the last DNA. So yep. if people start leaving, it's all going to fall apart. Then you don't have enough. Help. You don't have enough DNA at that point. They, they won't have enough. You don't have enough, and that's how you end up. As the Matthew twin. They got rid of the people that had too much. Been like when Matthew and John Stewart are twins in news <laughs> radio. <laughs> that, hasn't, well, that hasn't come up yet in my walkthrough, but I'm okay. looking forward to it. <laughs> Good. I do not know offhand what the B-plot is in that episode. I'll think about it, though. Yeah, I think you'd think about it. <laughs> um, so Picard wants to go to talk to Aaron about it. But on the way down, Troy actually doesn't stop the turbo lift but you know turbo lift rides take as long as they need to oh yeah man uh sometimes <laughs> well we've seen sometimes the enterprise gets all twisted and you can just walk straight from engineering to the bridge in like fucking right. 10 seconds so it's hard to say uh well anyway in the turbo lift scene and this i think is a big problem that that they have on deep space nine is they barely have turbo lifts so you can't do turbo lift scenes yeah there's like these so you, open shafts uh-huh. and it doesn't work it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They'd be like, that shaft would slowly start going down from ops, and they'd start to have a, a sentimental scene or something. You'd be like, everyone on ops can hear you. That's right. Your it's hair actually, is still visible. Actually, it's echoing through the shaft. It's actually pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually real bad. Like, everyone knows not to talk in the triplets. <laughs> anyway, she confesses to Picard. Yeah. 
that she has acted unprofessionally and she is broken up about this. Yeah, man. And it's because like every, as with everyone on the ship, Picard is her dad. She said, Papa, it, it hasn't come up, but her dad is dead. She said, Oh daddy dear, you know, you're still number one. And she is busted up to have to disappoint Picard about how she fell in love with a dude down on the planet. Yeah. And, um, and by the way, he barely cares. No, he don't want to know any of it. I actually think that Patrick Stewart was giving you a read like his actor's secret was that Picard was annoyed he had to have this conversation. I believe that 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, down on the planet, Aaron wants Picard to make this his problem by just telling tell him, you know, please don't take them. Please don't. Mm-hmm. But of course he's not gonna. They go together to speak to the people. The people are Hannah Bates. They were not going to pay anyone else nah, to have lines. People stand around, though. A lot of those. They all stand around, and they had, I guess, already decided that this one scientist was their leader. Mm-hmm. She speaks for us now. But I can't say that, so I'm just going to... You could see it with my eyes, though, that I'm saying Just like it. the engineer who electrocuted Harry Kim's nipples. <laughs> she turns out also to be the leader of the this faction. I'm glad that's how we'll always remember her. Well, I for sure don't remember her name. Oh, no, uh, no, no, not at all. I just remembered her as 90s hot. She was 90s hot. Right, right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Aaron asks uh, Hannah Bates to uh, accept a six-month cooling-off period to, you know, think about it, and Enterprise will come back, and then if people want to leave, they can leave because tempers are running hot. That's a no-go. Mm. And ultimately, Aaron is going to have to figure out how to make the society function with missing members. And my guess is everyone gets more work to do and no one gets a raise. That's how it usually goes. That's how it goes 100% of the time. You know what? The company that I met, (laughs) when I started working there, there were 30 full-time employees and now there are nine. Probably doing the same amount of work, though, huh? So, so, you know, it's pretty interesting that you say that. Yeah, yeah. it's just a (laughs) thought that I had about how how that was probably going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, people will be making jokes like someone will say Hannah Bates and someone will say she's dead to us now. But, you know, and that's a joke, but they actually are mad. They yeah, actually they are mad because they're mad at the wrong people. Yeah, they don't want they're to think not about mad her at, and how she's happier now that she's away at, from here. At Aaron and Martin for not having planned a society to have four sewer engineers instead of three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, they really did not luck out when all three sewer engineers wanted to leave. And also yeah. they didn't think that maybe the people with the less desirable jobs would probably want to leave. Yeah, they didn't think about it at all. Like, said, oh. um, this the person that I talked to in the Starfleet uniform, one of the blue, one of the blue guys, the blue uniform guys. He told me I didn't have to do this in the Federation. He said I could do. He said I was given an allotment of self improvement credits, and this is an intriguing idea that I want to talk to you more about. Maybe you can <laughs> introduce it here. That I can spend on like training and um just like smartening myself up a little bit so i can just do whatever i want as long as i don't go over my allotment of credits so yeah, anyway it turns out that on their ship it's not the case that somebody has to catch rats and grind them up into fertilizer <laughs> and who's guess who is genetically perfectly suited to do it it turns out up there you could do basically anything you want and by the way no one makes rat fertilizer so and, you know i know because we're all kind of in the same boat here i haven't really wanted to ask the questions i haven't wanted to dig too deep into it because we're all going through the same thing but why did right. you program why did you genetically design it so that i had to use my teeth on the rats uh-huh. that's the part yeah. i'm trying to figure out like couldn't i have just made a trap or something uh yeah no i understand the enzymes in my spit are part of the fertilizer but like i just don't could we have done exist, it a nicer we know? could have done it in a way that was nicer for me is all i'm saying 
So anyway, I'm um, learning bookkeeping. It's 500 self-improvement credits. Uh-huh. Yes. So. <laughs> oh. Um, Aaron and Troy say goodbye. Plus, he will always be in love with her, he says. For some reason. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Star Trek. You gotta love it. Uh, Picard looks at a meditation crystal that has not been introduced as symbolizing anything in this episode. <laughs> And tells Riker that the Prime Directive could have protected him from all of this, <laughs> even though, let's be clear, all the colonists would have died. That's right. He says that they may have been as dangerous as any core fragment could have been, mm. even, and it's weird that he mentions this, a bigger core fragment that they couldn't move at all. That's, that's right. Any core fragment. Any says. of them. Any one End of, them. of episode. Yeah. Matthew, what's this about? <sighs> yeah, this was... You know, I didn't have super high hopes other than I thought it would probably be pretty clearly about something. But mm-hmm. then I watched the fucking episode, and this is Not always the problem. Up. It's always the problem. I'm always like, that's going to be about something. We're and like, I watch it and five, I go, oh. five episodes from now, let this be your last battlefield. He's black on the left, I'm black on the right. Racism's what do you mean? bad. You can't tell any difference between Racism is, is on its face a silly idea. This is an easy one. <laughs> It'll be right down the center of the plate. Mm-hmm. home run on the take and then it's like you guys want too fast if you just <laughs> if you sit around and wait maybe you'll get freedom i don't know if, if you exactly maybe they'll give it to you if you uh, are nice about it instead of having communist rallies with uh, <laughs> f- with sulu and Chekhov. that's right you tried to warp my crew with your ideas just uh-huh. like the hippies and all yeah. other kinds of people i don't like Oh, uh, no, are you saying that happened again this week? Yeah, well, I think what it's saying is that the desire for perfection can be a great motivation and lead to, like, lots of laudable achievements, but that the actual realization of, quote, perfection is actually not desirable because, as Pat Stu says, so much of what makes life worth living is rooted in the uncertainty which can't exist in a perfect world. Thank you, sci-fi, but this is not a problem I really have to worry about in my daily life. (laughs) It sure isn't, huh? I mean, I know eugenics is a real concept, but everyone already hates that one anyway, so, like, I'm good to go. I don't really have to worry about it anymore. So, uh, just a three from me, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, so this is an episode about the tyranny of a planned society. Mm Mm-hmm namely that no society can be perfect if its members aren't free to choose their own way, right? Mm. But it gets all muddled up with eugenics and abortion, and there's a little bit of work about strict constructionism. Uh It's pretty clear that a bunch of different ideas about what could be wrong in a utopia got thrown into the same pot and stirred all together. Um, And what came out was, was Aaron and Martin. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Aaron and Martin came out of that gumbo. Yep. And it ain't it ain't good. It hurt the episode. And yeah, I think it's about a three, frankly. Yeah. It's like that there's no they don't hit a clear take. They they do the take they're trying to do very badly. Yep. And it's just too much stuff at once about why this is a bad idea and nothing at all about why no one would ever have this idea. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, look, my take was four lines long on this document, and that's not good. That's not a good sign. No. Do you remember... God, was it a Deep Space Nine? It must have been a Deep Space Nine, where they met those weirdos who wanted to get away from technology and start... Oh, the lady who was... Do like a 
back to basics society or whatever oh no okay so are you talking about the lady who tried to sex bait him with the other lady on the planet and put him in the little box i think so or are you talking about the new essentialists (laughs) shit damn i don't well the new essentialists are the terrorists right yeah they want to go back to basics too but it's not them because they're all mixed up with a bunch of we've gotten too soft and we need to Mm -hmm. militarize and that's not really part of it but like yeah so you mean god was the lady's name they always called her by her name and it was that was that episode was many many weeks ago well in real time it was many many years ago (laughs) yeah um but anyway i feel like the interesting story about this weird utopian society is actually with the pitch that was made and all these people getting together and secretly traveling out there and not whoops we've gotten there and eight generations later there are problems yeah like of course there are right i don't know yeah did, yeah did, did, i guess they see at least well you know true believers i guess they've really thought they yeah. were gonna crack the fucking case on this thing and um and listen they also definitely have some let's say uh founder veneration oh yeah that's going around these days though it's very popular it is extremely popular isn't it mm-hmm. moving over into execution sure uh let's uh just cut right to it i'm at two okay <laughs> this episode is also a mashup of a bunch of other tng episodes uh-huh. ensigns of command up the long ladder who watches the watchers um timison half a life Tim- half a life as as we mentioned already mm-hmm. probably a bunch more yeah uh troy and aaron fall in love for no reason yeah and that that's very bad for the episode i don't know why they always need to do that i don't know if that's like a network note or something we're like nah, you gotta have more romance or something like i get it we're devoting 10 minutes of the show to this part of the plot so there's very little way there's like it's difficult to show why how they fall in love with each other what what? they like about each other why don't you just make it so that they are fond of each other maybe even that they hook up but maybe Uh they're not in love and maybe they're not going to be in love forever Uh uh-huh maybe or in the voyager episode where harry kim has a girlfriend we join them two weeks into that mission also love is a literal disease in that episode so well the you know the the episode the disease where love is a disease yes uh they don't they don't bother to show us them falling in love yeah they just tell us that it happened and we might think well two weeks is pretty quick but then we also might think harry kim is not experienced naive yeah he i'm sorry but if i suddenly got a message that i was really from the delta quadrant and all these women were extremely horny for my dna and i had to go back and have this uh last man on earth breeding fantasy with them i'd be like well, this thing can't be real. This is too way too horny to be a real life situation. So yeah, you know, I said he was not that experienced, but I guess now that I think about it, he came out of that situation with wet, sparkly nips. So yeah, that is true, and that's not something that I've ever experienced, unfortunately. Um, the other big problem with the episode is that all anyone talks about is selective breeding. Yeah, and not isolationism. Or the fact that they have everything so minutely programmed and so efficient that 23 people leaving stands to absolutely gut them. Yeah, boy, they could have used some more explanation on that point, though, huh? Uh-huh. Like, In what way are you linked? In what way will this damage your society? Please tell me. Nope, just that it like, will? Okay. Yeah, I get it. Like, maybe... Maybe this maybe the society is physically not very large, 
And so, yeah. even though 23 people is one bus accident, mm-hmm. they don't have buses, but, like, no. do they not have structure fires? Twenty. Yeah. The idea of 20 people dying at the same time and it absolutely destroying a society, is a, yeah. that's a big problem. Yeah, what are they, they, do they ever give us numbers on how many people live there? They don't, but okay. we know that 23 people is the total they're going to leave. And yeah, so I'm saying, like, like maybe it's like, do. maybe there are only 78 people there or something. And they're just well, like, that seems fuck. like a big problem, too. They're just like, fuck. <laughs> fuck, I hope I don't jack off. Picard makes a prime directive case at the end, but no one talks about it at any point previously to that. Nope. So it just reinforces that he's got a bad attitude about the prime directive <laughs> and he thinks of it primarily as a shield for himself <laughs> so that he doesn't have to make hard decisions. That's right. So he doesn't have to do his job. You know, sometimes the prime directive means not having to do your job. And that's, that's right. the best. That's the best thing about it to him. Yep. But then it's also because that's how he thinks about it. He's willing to disregard it whenever he feels it's necessary as well. <laughs> the best thing about this episode is the little kid playing Chopin. And as far as I know, that was just an accident or it was picked by somebody who liked that piece of music and not for symbolism. Yes. Sure. So I gave it a two. Okay. That's fair. Um, the main plot is very sci-fi. The actual fears of the masterpiece people are not really clear. Marjan said 50 times, why don't you just leave and then go back? What's the big <laughs> deal? Because they kept being like, we can't leave. We're not allowed to leave the structure. Oh no, we can't let her go up there. That's bad. And it was just like, the writers don't do a good enough job explaining why Martin in particular Aaron as well why they why they don't like these ideas what is it going uh-huh. to do please tell us don't just tell us that it's a problem 50 times I can you explain can you tell us in the detail what you are afraid of what might happen and then we can maybe think about it at home but I don't think they could think of anything yeah it's not like Rashawn Uxbridge can't leave the planet because whoops she's not real she's not a real person or whatever I still don't know why he's a doubt he killed everyone can't he make her leave the planet I don't know I think she could have left the planet just fine. He was just, he just knew he couldn't keep it up forever. Like, yeah. people would eventually be like, I don't know, Rashawn doesn't seem real. Something about her. I'm just going to, you know, I, this is a weird thing to call out loud, but I'm going to call that she is a fake person brought back to life by her lover. Okay, Kevin, this is a super weird question, but I've, I've known you for four or five weeks now, so I feel like I can ask you this. She's is dead, right? real? She's, she's dead, huh? And that's, I don't know, some kind of hologram or something. She's that. Your wife's dead, though, right? Is your wife a projection of your own psyche somehow? Did you... Did a cosmic <laughs> being encounter you and give you this ability? Or are you said being? What? Hey, hey Kevin, did you wipe out a race with your mind? It's, I know it's a weird question to ask, but it's like, I just can't stop. This happens, I, though. This happens. Oh, and you say to I someone got, else in the room, this happens. I got three things going through my head constantly. A, did you wipe out an alien race? B, there's like a weird music box that's just constantly going on back there. I hate that. Uh, <laughs> see the lyrics to Copperhead Road. Yeah, and then, all like, the time. Uh, but like, I don't know, man. Feel feel free to say that's a crazy question or whatever. But did you wipe out a whole race of people with the thought? Also, are you good at math, Kevin? <laughs> just like, because I'm assuming now, based on your expression, when I've been asking these questions, that you are, in fact, some kind of a powerful cosmic <laughs> being. Are you good uh-huh. at math? Can you do math really good? Is that how it works? Yeah, is it mostly math? It's probably mostly math, right? That's my Ooh, guess. But maybe you're so advanced that you like you're a level above the math. Why are you looking like, like that? This really happens. You, this is a oh, thing. Yeah, I've seen it. That's why. What do you think? I just brought this out of nowhere. This is a thing. Cues and stuff. Um, 
What'd you give it for execution? Oh, yeah. The, so uh, the romance tacked on trash, except that it lets you view how a professional person might feel about doing a sex whoopsie. Yes. Because normally you get Riker and, you know, <laughs> the women. Uh-huh. Um, but she is... Go, she's going through one in a way that, again, not, nowhere near enough time is spent on that plot to understand exactly what's going on in her head. Wait a minute. Do I not have a clip for the women? <laughs> well, one, you need the one where Spock says the women. I thought Did I you, not clip that? I thought you must have that, but I I'm was... not seeing it on my board. ...specifically talking about the time Picard and Riker say the women at the same time. Oh, okay, And Picard okay, okay. is very aggravated about it. Let's, let's do this one instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good one. What are you doing with Lieutenant Uhera? It's also a good one. Do you have What's that one? To Lieutenant Uhera? <laughs> well, anyway, um, I did, um, I did feel kind of bad about this angry black man character, Martin, that they made, mm-hmm. as you described him, it's powerfully conservative. Yes, I think they did on like a subtle racism. Probably what would have been considered a subtle racism in the 90s. And I was uncomfortable about it the whole time. Dave's like, he's going to be a real angry conservative guy. And they're like, oh, black guys are pretty angry, right? Didn't like it. Do you think that they were really proud of themselves for making the conservative guy black? Maybe. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that was a good one for them. Yeah. Uh, Jordy always has his uh, wait a minute moment. You know, where he like does the far off stare. Oh. And, oh. Um. But, um, man, this one felt very contrived. It was. Well, you know, it's pretty easy. You know, my what my visor does is it uh, breaks it down into a code and it, like, sends me, like, wait a minute. Otherwise, it'd burn out my hold on a second. <laughs> we, oh, wait a minute, though. And then, oh, <laughs> oh, this is That's, too good. Is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then he throws it right in her face. Um,. A man wrote this Troy storyline for sure, hundred percent. Oh God, yeah. And as usual, the men who write sci-fi for TV, they they don't know anything about the romance. They don't have anything to say about the romance. There's just there's just nothing like there's nothing about it. There's nothing about this guy except that he's he cares about his people and he's soft spoken and he compromises. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't know, like. This is a weird thing to say, but, like, didn't you feel like Reva and Troy had chemistry, actually? No, oh, because he was, like, a fucking weirdo. And yeah. I'm, this has nothing to do with the fact that he couldn't talk. No, he was a weirdo otherwise. He was a, was weirdo a otherwise. weird yes. fucking possum dude. He had he crazy like, hair and beard, and he had crazy eyes, and he was just like, well, we just met, so why aren't we fucking? It was a little bit like Tormund Giant's Bane. And he said, he did look like that. And he said, if you think about it. And he said to the guy, uh, what was the guy's great nickname? The guy who was his passion. Oh, fuck. We used to talk about that guy all the time. <laughs> he told that guy to take a hike because he had this one handled. And it was like, kind of his sex valet, was that? Yeah. And he's like, I don't fucking need you because she's into this. I can tell already. That, that was chemistry because that guy was a wild animal. Yes. Some kind of creature that you would want. If you could breed with another creature, you could see what kind of creature you could get. Oh, sure. But but this guy is so milk toast. He's just... He's just pale. Anyway, it's one of the worst established romances in TNG. 
when Beverly falls in love with the candle ghost later, uh. I expect it will be better established. <laughs> the re- they, with the relationship with Odan, they A... Have already been doing it. They've already been doing it. Yeah. And B, they talk about how quick it is and how that's unusual, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, in this one, it's just... She meets him eight minutes later, Riker's like, let's go back to the ship. And she mm-hmm. slowly turns her head and looks at him and says, actually, I'd like to stay behind. Yeah, you're trying to cock block me now? And, like, you know this is it, my type. The look she's giving him is like, I, you can feel the heat coming off of me, right? <laughs> you know. I am, um, I, have, I am prepared physically. Do you understand what I'm saying? Billy you think boy. I'm gonna go upstairs with you and roll around on some poker chips and go, we can't? <laughs> I'm a senator. That's right. Um, so this, uh, this episode comes down to a, a bunch of big arguments about what what's going to happen next, right? Are people going to leave? Uh, uh, what's going to happen to the society, though no one t- talks in detail, but it's definitely going to be ruined, and why they can't s- stay, and why they have to leave, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I do think those scenes are the best scenes in the episode, but again, mm-hmm. it's such a real niche sci-fi issue that it only... It only takes you so far. I did not find myself siding with anyone because I did not really care enough. You just sort of don't believe in the premise, ultimately. Yeah. So, uh, just a three for me. It was not uh, not one of the best ones, for sure. World building? The Moab sector. All right. Stellar core fragment. Yeah, that's the thing. Society where it shouldn't be in the mode of TOS and early TNG. Uh, genetically engineered to be a perfect society. Everyone agrees their society is definitely over if some of them leave, so I guess I missed the explanation on that. Um, I mean, all that stuff. The stuff about them. It's a one for me. I guess I liked it a little better. Um, There's a little bit of business where Picard asks uh, Worf to make contact using lower frequency subspace bands that were in common use a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So subspace frequencies have changed. Um, I guess no one has ever thought of pulsing the tractor beam or whatever the fuck multiphasic tractor beams oh. are before. Yeah, dude. In twenty four in the twenty fourth century, they're straight using like five gigs. Like the five gig <laughs> frequency is pretty advanced. It is pretty advanced. <laughs> I, I'm glad they didn't say what frequency, because I just would have been like, yes. oh, man. Well, um, don't worry, because uh, Jordy did. Oh, he Some did. stuff about how his visor works. Uh, he says he could pick up uh, he could pick up electromagnetic radiation from 1 hertz to uh, 100,000 terahertz. Oh, okay. So I looked those up for you, and um, I knew 1 hertz was wrong. I knew there was no way. Uh, yeah. But I did look it up, a 1 hertz frequency... Uh, electromagnetic radiation has a wavelength of 300 million meters. <laughs> so he picks that a, shit up all the that's time. That's a light second. Yeah. And um, so you know, let's uh, their technology. I'm sure is really advanced, but for modern technology, an antenna typically has to be at least a tenth of the size of the wavelength that's trying to pick up right. to get anything. Which would be 30 million meters, and his visor looks a little smaller than that. Yeah, all right. Well, we all know every every star system has a giant space antenna, so uh-huh. <laughs> no yeah. big deal. Well, yeah, so 
I don't think there's any chance his visor could pick up a one hertz uh, electromagnetic <laughs> radiation. And then I wondered if a hundred thousand terahertz was equally bad, but now nah, that's just in the X-ray band somewhere. Okay. All right. Uh, we have another hidden human colony from the bad old days with uncertain prime directive status. And again, mm. that makes you ask, what is the Federation? How does it work? I'm going to meet you in the middle with a two. Okay. On that. Characterization. Picard gives a lot of good speeches and it makes you like him. And sometimes he gives a good speech and then Admiral whatever Henry gets up mm. and leaves the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Picard, the character, is wildly amoral. <laughs> I'm glad. See, this is the thing. Everyone talks about how he's really the he's the good captain, and he is you know he he's got a man of principle. And then it's just like, no, nah, I got so much ammo though. I got yeah. all the ammo in the world against this guy. He La- murders people. He does. He murders people. Last week, he told rapists that there was no law no, to fit them. their crime. Can't do it because it was mind rape. Mm-hmm. This week, he's our interference may have been as deadly as any core fragment, <laughs> as though this weird fascist utopia was being slightly inconvenienced <laughs> by by being introduced to some different thought from outside is the yeah. most one of the most horrible things he can imagine. Yeah, definitely worse than if they all got wiped out. He buys that their society has been completely and irreparably destroyed. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And also that it was perfect beforehand. Of course. Of course. They flipped wharf around this week he's pro asylum for the first time ever yeah uh in this in this conference room scene where you just hear wharf pipe up why shouldn't we grant them asylum i'm just like all right i guess that's Worf's stance this week Uh uh-huh but it's also another example of wharf being right and everyone thinking he's just the ship's bouncer and why do they even invite him to the meetings (laughs) yep um troy's scene where she confesses to picard that she's been unprofessional is good Mm -hmm. but it raises a lot of questions about why she's so sad about having let Picard down yeah. when she knows Will Riker would have hit on this guy in front of Picard if he'd had a big Irish pair. Oh, I'm not even, like, honestly, without it, I don't know about Riker. I think he just gets down. I think if he'd been into this guy, yeah. pair or not, man, yeah, he would have just been like... Well, she should know that he would have hit on him right in front of Picard, so I don't yeah. know why she thinks she's done anything. That's a hundred... Uh, yes, exactly. And, I don't know what that means about her. Why does she think she's not allowed to do the things Riker can do? No. What's going on there? It's some gender stuff at play. There's some 1990s real-life gender stuff at play in this script. Yeah. Basically, why is Picard Troy's daddy this week? And why mm-hmm. is Picard such a piece of shit sometimes? <laughs> so it's going to be a three for me. Sure. Even though I don't think characterization was really the problem this week. No. Does Troy describe herself as a student of human nature because she doesn't have a real job title to include in her introduction? Well, then she says to him, I'm the ship's counselor. And he goes, oh, I see. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know what that is. No. Does anyone? Yeah. What I does that mean? I don't know what it means. <laughs> he doesn't say to her, so do you go to school for that or what? Like, <laughs> is that a, it's an official position? Because you're not wearing a uniform. I noticed you don't wear a uniform. You seem like I, you've you're got civilian. the pin. I see the pin, but I, you're not wearing a uniform. I know that's just an iPhone, though. So like everyone has one yeah. of those. Yeah, like it seems like if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be able to talk to people. Yeah, I don't think that means you're with them. Yeah. So um, the ship's counselor, huh? Okay. Well, that's cool. All I'm right. glad they sent you and to save you me. You said that you're a, you're a reserve of the human condition. Um, I did see a werewolf. 
There's I saw on the, like I haven't been up there, but I saw yeah. one they called. There I know was a it's werewolf behind him. Not so. just humans. Werewolves. I think there was a metal man. Uh, yeah. There's a lot happening up there. And actually, I don't think we're ready for this. And also, I'm glad they sent the ship's counselor to save my planet from certain doom. That's very uh-huh. helpful. Thank you very much. For that. Can we get the, the blind guy back? Can I talk to him? Can he? Because he seems like... He's in the yellow uniform. I don't know much about you guys, but that's a uniform. Picard and, said uh, he was an engineer, and we at least we have those. So We have one. We have an engineer. Well, uh, she's more of a scientist. She's a scientist slash engineer. We only got 38 people on this planet. So. Yeah, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you know about this, but there's... <laughs> honestly, we've when got, we got here, we had so 36. Yeah. We've done pretty good, <laughs> I think, to get it up to 30. <clears throat> um, as you say, she is real mad at herself for pulling a Riker just uh holds herself to a different standard i guess yeah but then she's in the conference room just saying connor's lines with her whore mouth (laughs) all about how the society's gonna be destroyed if they save some refugees they're refugees let's be honest and she suddenly this week is like fuck them what about connor's society i mean what about the the colony down there she wouldn't think of him as Connor. She thinks of him as Aaron. I mean Aaron. Sorry, I wrote it down Connor because I couldn't remember his name. See, I had I told you offline. I thought it was Aaron, but I, I disqualified it because I would have imagined that Picard would have called him Aaron, and I would have heard that <laughs> and noted it on this on this yeah, it's, project. It's very distracting. It just turns out that they have basically no interactions. Yeah, I think that must be it because he's taken a couple of passes at Aaron in the past and Aaron at both times. So um, that is how he thinks of that name. <laughs> We should ask, hey, if uh, if our UK crew ever gets a hold of this episode, can you just tell us, is that how you say the name over there? Is it Aaron uh, over there? Good question for overseas. I don't really know. Like, and I'm not gonna We know you up. say 787, but do you say Aaron? <laughs> Big surprise that Picard hates these dudes. His whole deal has always been, I hate the religions, and I hate um he probably hated the cloners probably hated the cloners right everyone hated well, he didn't them. ask any questions when yeah. Riker and Pulaski beamed back and they had murder <laughs> in their eyes and their phasers were glowing but he didn't ask any questions that was one of the first episodes where they let they let Riker be frakes yeah and she tells him so you know how these people are cloners right and he goes uh-huh she goes and uh you know how we both are missing some time down there right Okay, and uh, I just I checked, and we're both missing. Like they took they took they took something from us, a genetic uh, material. And he goes, meaning? It <laughs> <laughs> just fucking fall out of my chair. He did, like he did what? Need to be, he didn't need synthesis on that one. He needed to be fucking handheld all the way to the phaser. I think she puts the phaser in his hand, and then oh, she at least there. nods at him before he wipes hers. It's cr- uh, it's. That was the first great Frakes scene where Riker is so dumb. <laughs> he needs to be fucking told. Couldn't figure that one out. Um, uh, Picard uh, does not like to get involved ever, so he doesn't want to hear Troy's confession, and he doesn't want to give those people asylum, but he's got to fucking do it anyway if they want to. So not his, not his best week and not his favorite week. He didn't want to know about any of this stuff, and... He feels really bad in the end about it, like you said, how they're worse than any stellar core fragment. Anyone you could fucking think of. Uh, love a good Geordie episode. 
Love that he rubs it in this lady's stupid face that his visor saved their dumb planet. Then his visor catches this bitty conjuring a toxic crack into the wall. Yes, the irony was thick in this episode. Dude, fucking Jordy was all over it. Worf is so mad in that conference room that they have to talk about these non-interference issues. He's so angry about it. I think he's saying the thing about why don't we just give them asylum because he wants the conversation to end and he wants to go home. Alexander's probably fucking up somehow. Oh, he's yeah. got shit to do, and they're in here like he's probably sure they're you know, gonna say yes. That Maria Bamford looking teacher wants to talk to him about <laughs> Alexander's latest horse shit. He's sure they're gonna say yes to the asylum because that's what they always say, right? He's like they want to help people. Everyone's gonna say yes. I normally say no, but I'm gonna flip it this time and wear out ten minutes early. I'm gonna yes. say yes. He's trying to get out of there early. Yes to the asylum. We're all agreed. Good. Let's go. I say yes. Troy. Troy pipes up. And says, uh-uh, wait a minute, let's hold it for a second. If we bring these people up, the planet's gonna be in total chaos. I can't believe this shit. The look on his face. He is fucking pissed. <laughs> um, so I enjoyed it on some ironic levels and gave it a four. Well, what about quick hitters? Shot of Troy on the bridge in this teaser for when she was not in it at all. Just suddenly shows her looking at this right. guy, so we know she's already wet. Um, this guy, Martin, was bred to be the perfect paranoid security buffoon. Yes. Why did they think that was something that was, that they needed to have? I guess this guy mostly, uh, mostly has to do disputes about whether, uh, bakers in their society are allowed to be cakes for gay, gay couples and stuff. <laughs> and they needed somebody to adjudicate that in just the worst way possible. Uh -huh. It was important for society. I have best actor candidate, uh, Jordy, spouting pro-life propaganda in a quiet voice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the pro-lifers love this one. Yeah. They made that kid keep playing the piano through all the earthquakes. They did. They just went, just play through it, it's fine. Don't worry about the earthquakes, that's not important. Marjan pointed out that this perfect pianist kid must not have been given the uh, genetic creativity needed to be a real composer just playing Chopin like it's the 19th century or whatever. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and then Marjan says Troy and Connor probably did sex, and I agree. Oh, I think they did. We didn't see her put her boots yes. back on, but she has the problem that her jumpsuit goes over her boots, so that yeah. is difficult to uh, Yeah, you'd have to, to show her throwing camera. her titties into that thing, and that's uh -huh. they can't show that. Yeah, there was no exactly. TV code in that way, but the fact that it's the next morning, and she's playing that piano, it's like, nah, man. Yeah, she's playing the piano, <laughs> and he's like, you're up early. And they didn't like, do kissing all night. still on Enterprise time. Yeah, yeah, they didn't do kissing all night. That's not how it works. So. Yeah. Anyway... Um, that's it for me. What do you got? Um, so how should we dress the leader of this <laughs> isolationist breakaway colony? What if we gave him a suit jacket that looks like if Babylon 5 did Western wear and a zipper <laughs> that suggests a bolo tie? I was going to say the zipper was very bolo-y for yeah. sure. Space Buck Owens it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what Riker was thinking when he decided to head back to the ship with Troy. Maybe he was trying to set Jordy up with a scientist. Maybe he thought he was being uh, a good wingman. Wing like, manning. all right, well, uh, I know you like nervous uh, engineer women, so let's uh, <laughs> maybe we'll fuck off and go, you know, mess around up. Up, oh, but she gave him an incredible look, and he did not read the room. 
No, not at all. He had failed to read the room. I was really hoping there would be a scene with him and Aaron where he says he's glad Aaron's with Troy and that I hope he makes her very happy. That's where you got me wrong. (laughs) Ha ha! Matt, is there any circumstance under which you would play a public piano? Oh, I mean, am I allowed to have the level of skill I have now? Well, you only have to play it as good as Troy. Because, I mean, if I have the level of skill I have now, I would have no fault, uh, no problem doing it at all, because it would definitely be hilarious. I but, see. like, <laughs> if I had real skill, it would make me very embarrassed to play it. Well, Troy got has absolutely no shame. She'll get up from her sex night and go play a piano in the public square, just like people living nearby, hearing it through their open windows and shit. <laughs> She's like, a oh. stranger. They all know each other, and she just fucking randomly came here. It's one of the ladies from the ship. She's just playing the piano. Hey, lady, we don't we don't play that at this hour. That's um, the kid plays it. No one no, else could, t- touches it. You could tell she can't even play the piano. Uh, one time she's someone, just, one time she's someone banging t- on it. One time somebody touched it, and Martin said that it was illegal. We didn't look <laughs> it up. He said only the kid's allowed to play it because the kid's the perfect pianist. He's so. the only one who's allowed to look at the laws, so we just. <laughs> You know, it didn't seem right. I'm going to say now it didn't seem right when he said it was illegal. Now that I've met you folk, it seems wrong. But But, at the time, I mean, yeah, we all thought he was he was engineered to know the laws. So do you think there was a day, Matt, when Picard came aboard when he said to them, listen, I know most of you don't have fathers, but I've got good news. And then, like, (laughs) took a hood off and revealed his male pattern baldness and Riker and Troy and Worf all felt filial stirrings. Yes. Yes, they all said, Papa? Yeah, this is a ship of people without dads. Yeah. Wesley, when he was there, too, of course. Jordy's got a dad. Doesn't that's why matter, he's well-adjusted, he I guess. That's everyone, why he's, that's why he's everyone, the most normal person on the ship. Everyone in space is not only missing a dad, but they're not cool about it. They're all yearning for dad. Data doesn't have a dad. No one has a dad, and Picard has to be everyone's dad, and luckily he looks like a dad, but yeah. it's... yeah. And then I got a lot of uh, employer doesn't staff for sick days and tries to make up for it by demanding everyone step up for the team vibes here from (laughs) this society. Well, he is the perfect administrator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best actor, Troy disappointing her father. Worst actor, Troy falling in love. Yeah. Yes. Uh, First place last week was Deep Space Nine. And frankly, looking at the numbers... They got a pretty good shot to for a th- three-win really, streak here. They have to just not absolutely turd so bad it gets on their dick. Is really it. Well, <laughs> this week we watched Dr. Bashir, I presume. Fuck. Rom is finally going to ask Lita out. I couldn't even tell you for sure if we knew he had a thing for her. We know she had a thing for him, but I don't. I kind of thought they were already fucking. I don't really remember. I assumed that would have happened started off screen, but no, I guess not. Yeah. Um, she already did leave Bashir for him, though. Yeah, but I guess it's mutual. But anyway, he can't pull it off. He's too scared. Um, Quark harasses Lita for a bit. Pretty typical stuff there. Uh, Bashir and O'Brien are playing darts. Talking about dad stuff. You know. Because Bashir knows a dad. He knows one. Yes. Um, Dr. Zimmerman, the real-life Schmollis in the flesh who made Schmollis the light man, walks over and says he's here to make Bashir immortal. He yeah, also... Strap in. 
he gets about 10 minutes of this 40 minute episode so it's crazy they they put him in like he's jason alexander honestly <laughs> kind of uh zimmerman also says man the what name. if it had been jason alexander but he <laughs> just was playing lewis zimmerman and you're like well that's not right but <laughs> i'm interested he's jason that, alexander he's he seems that, to be enjoying himself if nothing else he's got that squint he's really he's got it going on uh, this guy says the name of the episode credits. Um, Zimmerman talks to Cisco uh, and Bashir about modeling uh, a new LMH, a long-term medical hologram, on uh, Bashir. Bashir's going to be the, instead of himself, because it was Zimmerman when he made Schmollis, but it'll be a new one. It'll be based on Bashir. And Bashir's got to fill out a big questionnaire so the LMH can have uh, Bashir's great personality. His rapey yeah. personality. Uh, Zim, I'm just going to call him Zim because it's so many fewer letters. And Bashir uh, hang out at Quark's where Zim starts lusting after Lita. So he's, I guess he's going to get in this plot too. He's going to get in there and just kind of mix it up. One of the only fun observations ever on The Greatest Generation was in this episode where they said that in this scene... The camera is placed so far above Lita that you can see her belly button down her shirt, <laughs> which I think is not true, but it is a good description of what the, they're doing yeah. Cinem- cinematographically with regard yes. to her here. Well, you know, they're real. These people are real artists, and it was just the right shot. You know? I mean, this is an episode where Quark tells Lita he hired her for her tits, so mm-hmm. that must have been fun for this actress to hear, knowing that it was about her. That's all right. She gets the last laugh because she's all over the STO or whatever. Anyway. She is. Uh, Zimmerman says he needs to talk to Bashir's family as part of the process of building a personality profile. Bashir says, no, thank you. Uh, I am not close with my family. They don't know anything about me. Don't ask them anything. And Zimmerman says, okay. But then he makes a note to contact them immediately for the juicy goss because that's going to help for some reason. Yep. When you say he makes a note, he says out loud. Note yes. to self. As always. Contact Star Trek. parents immediately. In Star Trek, all the notes are out loud and often in front of everybody. Um, it makes everybody seem like they probably read out loud, too. Oh, yeah, or at the very the least, most of these people move their mouth when they read, for sure. <laughs> they let the computer read to them and move their mouth along with it. Uh-huh. Um, some fun with Schmullis and new Schmullis fighting over being replaced. Then we get the Remick scene from TNG, but now the crew's being grilled by Zimmerman about Bashir's personality or whatever. Yeah, more or less effective than the Remick scene from I'm uh, going Conspiracy. I'm to say less effective. I also thought less effective. I and think it, too fast, too many cuts. And then at the end, Zimmerman asks out Lita. So. <sighs> he really is in the A and the B of this one. Oh yeah, he's all over this one. Uh, those two are having a date. And Rom is listening in with his ear powers. It is a new and unique Ferengi ear power that we they do a whole scene where they let us see his great ear powers. He moves his earlobe around to kind of tune like an antenna until he can hear their conversation. Mm-hmm. He, Usually, um, it's just Quark pointing to his ears and going "Hello," <laughs> which is much more effective. Yes, <laughs> he interrupts her date and again fails to successfully ask her out because of his big fears. Uh, Bashir is in Cisco's office when Dax brings his parents in to surprise him. They say Zimmerman told uh, them that it was urgent, that they come right away. So Bashir confronts Zimmerman about it, but the guy just tells him to eat shit. He's, um, 
anyway, he's got to go perv up Lita, but good. So he doesn't have time for this conversation anyway. Zimmerman shows up at Lita's quarters, and we see the writer's greatest dreams came true. <laughs> they got to do the episode, finally, the one they've all been talking about, where Lita is all boobs out and stuff, and her <laughs> towel falls off, and everyone has a really good time. Yeah. He tries to get her to come back with him to whatever fucking, wherever he is, whatever station he's on, and run the cafe there or whatever. Talking about how she's finally going to get to use her brains. Bashir's having an uncomfortable meal with his parents, and he eventually tells them not to slip up and reveal the terrible secret they're all carrying. And the dad is like, no shit, dude. I'll go straight to prison if the big secret is revealed. So, I got this. It's a secret. Uh-huh. By the way, uh, his dad was on Seinfeld as well. Uh, yeah? Was he doing a Michael Caine impression on Seinfeld, too? <laughs> he was not. He was doing a Pakistani accent oh, or something. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, Lita tries to tries everything she can to get Rom to say that he likes her, but the guy just can't do it. So now she's like, well, I guess I'll go take the job because that's literally the only reason I would stay on Deep Space Nine is for the guy who has never asked me out. And now that he won't, I'll go to another place entirely for the guy who did ask me out. This They've written some good stuff for her. Uh-huh, yeah, they've <laughs> given her a lot of uh, real agency and also uh, definitely a very grounded... <laughs> outlook on life and very sensible decision making and definitely. what was nice is in this episode her towel didn't fall off at all yeah yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. she's good to go well I mean thankfully at least it was an earlier era and Dutch well the they did bra. show her bare back they cut it off well above the butt crack no well butt crack above or the hand bra. line yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Uh, uh-oh, the parents come in and they accidentally tell the new LMH all about Bashir's genetic enhancements in great detail. So much greater than he would ever need because he already knows all about it. He knows it. what the secret is. The writers have forgotten that he knows what it is. Yeah, but they gotta tell but, him all about it. And their big fix for this is <clears throat> to have their dad say, just to be perfectly clear, I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> all about the big about secret. About your genetic resequencing. About yeah. your illegal genetic resequencing. That'll send me and straight then to prison. They don't have the decency to show a scene where he goes, oh crap, I shouldn't have said it was illegal. <laughs> or even to wait for Bashir to say anything at all. They just fucking bolt out of there and then fucking Zimmerman and O'Brien step out from behind the door Babylon 5 style and are just like, aw, shit, son. Uh, Pure farce. The, yes. Them going in and telling this hologram this stuff, yeah. yeah. Some people think Frasier was a farce, but I don't know. <laughs> I think it's Star Trek 2 Space Nine. Uh, O'Brien comes in and warns Bashir about, you know, his big secret being revealed. He says that this guy's gonna tell Starfleet all about it or whatever. So Bashir goes Larry Appleton for a minute and talks about how he's scum and he's the worst. <laughs> anyway, Bashir was six years old and way behind developmentally and his parents put him in a goose suit. They goosed him. And... <laughs> He went. They even went to a non-Federation world and everything to get it done because it's so illegal. And and his mental abilities went way up along with his physical shit too. I guess he's like I don't know the Flash or something. I don't know what they said. Look, I mean, we had that episode where he was sandbagging his games of racquetball or whatever the fuck because he because of old old Blumpy O'Brien because he was like a he was like a tennis semi-pro or some horse shit in college mm -hmm. 
yeah, not an individual sport in the Federation. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Yeah, man, it's Captain America all over again. He got the serum or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, then they moved away and started their new lives somewhere else. And Bashir knows when everybody finds out he's going to be out of Starfleet and out of medicine, so he's pretty bummed out. Quark tells Rom, this is a tip, we're back at the, the B-plot. Quark tells Rom his own, Rom, he tells Rom Rom's own backstory, just he like t- Bashir was just told. He tells, he tells Rom the story of Nog. It's just so we can hear it, I guess. All about his wife, Prima Dora. Maybe that Dora? Doesn't matter. I don't care. Maybe that'll give him a kick in the ass so he'll do a good masculine date request, which is definitely a plot on par with the serious issues raised in the A plot. Uh-huh. Bashir and his dad fight again about what parents do for their kids and why they needed to goose Bashir all the way up to the top of the class. They keep saying goose. And Bashir <laughs> yes. says... They, they have all seen I Think You Should Leave Season 2, Episode 1. <laughs> so they all know about goose suits. We goose them. Um, Bashir says he'll resign tomorrow morning and leave the station quietly. And that gives his father enough time to fall on the sword completely. Yep. They got an admiral in Cisco's office in the morning on the fucking hollow viewer. Didn't, for, didn't remember that came back. And they already have... Like, completely come to an agreement. The dad's gonna go to prison, and Bashir can stay in his post, and um, the dad's gonna go to Tom Paris's old haunt, or whatever, and, I don't know, walk around in the grass. I don't really know what they have him doing there. <clears throat> anyway, so no one even has to worry about it. Everything is cool and normal now. No collusion. Yep. It's kind of a perfect phone call with this admiral. It really goes pretty well. <laughs> He even gets to make a speech, which is amazing. Um, Rom stops Lita and Zimmerman at the airlock because she's really going. And uh, finally confesses that he loves her and wants her to stay, which she happily accepts. And Zimmerman goes full pervert on the very next lady he sees. Just the the first lady that walks by. Have you heard of the Kama Sutra? He literally asks her about the sex books. Um, since uh, this is the oh sorry there's one more scene go ahead yeah Bashir and O'Brien have some jokes with darts and we're out yeah uh, they didn't have any lines for Zimmerman there mm. and Picardo ad-libbed and said to that extra uh, excuse me have you heard about my work on Star Trek Voyager <laughs> and they thought that line was very funny but they made him change it mm. to the Kama Sutra line Okay, well, they should not have changed that. Not because I really like the first line, but, you know. The second one sounds like a crime, so... It does. It is a crime, for sure. All right, man. This one. This, this, does this raise... Does this clear the bar that these first two shitty episodes established? I mean, we'll fucking see at the end how the numbers (laughs) add up, but it was... I did not enjoy it. Um, What's it about? This episode is working in the area of growth and development. Okay. That big, long Remick interview is all about how Bashir used to be five years ago when he got Mm. here. They don't actually get into this. They leave it as an implication, but it is sort of about how he has grown and changed and become a better person in the last five years, right? Okay. By by recasting about all the stuff about when he first got here. Yep. The twist is about his early growth and development. They also tell us, or at least imply, that his father finally taking responsibility for one of his failures or bad decisions instead of running away is a kind of growth. Sure. 
So I think when you put it all together, it's possible to read this as an episode saying something like, it's never too late to grow and change. Oh, okay. But they never make that as a really strong statement. It's kind of an oops all plot episode, frankly. Um, And that also has nothing to do with the B plot. Yeah. What about the growth of not just using your tits? And uh, maybe you can be a professional woman. No. Unless a man asks you out. And then. Yeah, exactly. Fuck it. You know. Yeah. And she's also very nervous about running a small cafe on Jupiter Station. (laughs) Um, I gave it as many as three points. Okay. But it's. The formulation is my formulation, and we are in a themes episode space here, I think. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you cook a take and you're like, I fucking cooked that to perfection. This <laughs> is a masterpiece, seven points. And then sometimes you cook a take and you go, that was a lot of work, I'm exhausted. It was three kind points. of a long walk, yeah. <laughs> of the three this week, this was definitely the one I had to think about the take the longest on. Yeah, I just went with parents will do anything for their kids, but should they? Ah, and I had it as a question because I love a question. I wasn't really clear on how we're supposed to feel about what went down. I mean, it was very illegal. Well, I'll just go into execution. I give that a four, and then execution. On one hand, we're told by everyone what his parents did was extremely wrong. Even Admiral What's His Ass, bathed in light, gets to monologue about it. As the camera slowly rotates around him, it was he- very odd. He does get to snap off a monologue for sure. It was fucking weird. It was like uh, we were supposed to be in awe or something. This is not like one of the famous apps. It's not like Necheyev fucking popped in and snapped one oh, off or man. something. This was straight Admiral Left Court from Babylon 5. General uh-huh. Left Court? I don't remember. I, yes, he was the guy from Babylon 5. Oh, fuck. We didn't talk about this at all, by the way, hmm. in the Masterpiece Society. But Ron Canada, oh. is, uh, who plays Martin. Yeah, he was the captain of that destroyer. He was the captain of that destroyer the with the great machine. Hyper- Hyperion or something. He was also the Klingon prosecutor that came in and owned Worf's ass <laughs> and owned that episode. He was so great. He was so great that Worf beat his ass in the courtroom because Worf is a fucking animal. Yeah, he was great. Anyway, let's look forward to seeing him next week in Juggernaut. That's right. And um, so I will say again, this guy was General Left Court in Babylon 5. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so everyone's like, this is, uh, is very bad. Everything that they did was so bad. But then his parents talk about how hard it was to watch Bashir struggle. And I don't think we're supposed to root for Bashir to get booted out of the service either. So it's not exactly a declarative episode. No, it isn't. Um, it makes no sense that he would be punished for this. It makes no sense that someone who has been genetically engineered can't practice medicine. Mm-hmm. It's that literally doesn't... like what the Federation law is, is like, if we let one person have a life who did this, it encourages other people to do it or something. Uh-huh. Yep, it is. And, <clears throat> but also, even within the episode, I guess it's probably O'Brien who tells him, this case law hasn't been tested in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. O'Brien or his dad or his mom or somebody, right? It's like, yeah. look, this is an old law. Every, I think everyone probably knows it's not a great one. Yeah. And maybe we just got to get it in front of the right JAG officer who's just setting up somewhere out on the frontier. No doesn't staff, have a lot of staff. And Kira's going to have to be the prosecutor. Doesn't have a subscription <laughs> to all the law library databases yet. So <laughs> maybe we can sneak in some precedent here and change one of these bad laws. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, His dad doesn't say, I've been reading up on jury nullification or anything. <laughs> no, instead he just... 
Instead, he ends up calling this admiral who makes a very long speech about it, the evil of uh, of genetic manipulation. So. That was part of the trade. You go to you go to our lowest security prison for two years. Mm-hmm. Bashir gets to keep his rank. I get to give a little speech. That's right. Bathe me in light. What are you talking about? You just come through as you would normally be. It's just a hollow viewer. No, 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 no. Bathe me in every light that I mean, you have. For sure, the this hollow pad is like it, it. Somehow, it's cheaper to just put a plug a blue light bulb in and let the guy <laughs> stand there than do a scene where he's talking on a monitor. Somehow that's cheaper. I don't. Yeah. It, I don't maybe know. it shouldn't be because we do have to do the effect at the end when he shuts off. But that's a cheap one. That one comes for free on the Amiga computers we bought. <laughs> it's very hard to explain what's happening in this season of Deep Space Nine. Also, the arguments against genetic manipulation are based entirely on fictional wars. Yes. And not on any real-life events or even real-life theories. Like, there are real-life theories about why genetic manipulation would be wrong. But they don't use any of those. They just say, in the 90s, there was a giant war that killed millions and millions and millions of people, so we can't have it anymore. And at home, what do was I do with that? Was it maybe the 2090s? That? It makes a little more sense if it was the tw- <laughs> if we can make it the 2090s and just You're pretend right. like it should have been 2096 all along, then it works a little better. Like, what am I supposed to do with that at home? I don't care about your yeah. stupid augment wars. What, what does uh-huh. this have to do with me? So yeah, that's kind of bad. It's like Dunes, Butlerian Jihad or whatever. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, I guess computers got too wild for a bit, huh? So now yeah. there aren't any. I got, I'm real wrapped up in this. This is just hitting me in all my sweet spots. Uh-huh. Plus, this thing comes out of nowhere. This was not a cool slow build where they were planting evidence for years and years and years. It seems like no. they just went, um, and this week we find out Bashir's Captain America. What? Well, I mean, that was how it happened for Alexander Siddig. <laughs> no one ever told him anything. He never had any there was no head burn. cannon. There was nothing for him to play. He says he got the script on Thursday, found out, and started filming on Friday. That's fucking wild. Fucking DS9. Anyway, we'll see what this does to Bashir and his shit moving forward, but I instinctively don't like that. It opens the door for more Bashir plots. That makes me nervous. Yeah, it's not great. And the ROM plot seems like it was just a way to get more Zimmerman into this episode, and I didn't like that either. Um, just a three for me. Well, um, what's some stuff you haven't talked about yet? So, this episode ha- felt odd. Mm-hmm. It's very deliberately paced. It felt like a long, slow episode. Right. Um, and they're doing a lot of stuff with it. People are constantly taking strange eye lines with regard to the camera. Like that scene where Nog and Lita step forward away from her date to have a little conversation. Right. And they're and too close to the camera. Yeah, and then you can see Zimmerman in the background hanging out. Yeah, and they're like not they're not looking at each other and you can't tell what they are looking at. It's all very odd. The lighting is like the movie First Contact. It's got this the golden movie lighting in this episode mm. in some scenes for some mm. reason. The whole thing feels like it was written for the stage. This yeah. family drama about perpetual loser Richard Bashir and the family secret. Like, yes. this is a stage play. Sure. It's just not quite the language of Deep Space Nine. Okay. Although Deep Space Nine... They do love some community theater. Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they are into it. Uh, everybody everybody enjoyed Frame of Mind too much. I think it changed too many things. Um, yeah. 
the twist comes out of nowhere, there's no build-up, and the timing for it is terrible. Bashir was just a changeling that we didn't know about it's, for weeks. It's and we're, fucking wild. We already have to think about that, that for a month... He was he was a changeling. He did brain surgery on Cisco. He delivered the O'Brien baby. A bunch mm-hmm, of shit, right? Doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. He Again, helps, he helped that Odo changeling with the baby die. changeling. Yeah. Uh, now it turns out that he's wrong in a different way. That I the know. Bashir that we've always known has been a little wrong or off or something. But they got lucky with it because there are lots of odd little things in his backstory that you and I, who knew this twist was coming. Mm-hmm have seen before and this twist sort of accidentally explains some stuff like did he flub that question on the test on purpose post gangliotic uh so that he he wouldn't be the valedictorian is this why he's on the frontier is this why he was almost a pro tennis player but couldn't Uh quite go pro exactly like is he he's hiding in plain sight like he's doing enough to stay just out of the spotlight. He almost won that prize for greatest doctor in the universe or whatever. (laughs) Right. But didn't. So they got very lucky because, or, or or maybe the writers after five seasons had enough of a handle on his character that they were able to put it together somehow into this, but Mm, I doubt that. Yeah, I wouldn't trust that. I think they just got lucky with the, the fact that the twist sort of retroactively can be made to make sense. Also, that's why when he has to do other voices, they come out so bad. Like when he, the serial killer was inside of him. Because <laughs> if he was really good at impressions, then people would be like, that was too good. Yeah. Are you goosed? Do they goose, goose you? Um, but the B-plot is pure trash. Uh-huh. Nothing about Ram and Lita makes sense. No. She could solve the problem in one second by asking him out, but instead she's going to leave the station with Zimmerman. Yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't look good for her. Who, honestly, it comes on stronger than Quark. <laughs> yep. Um, I don't know. Work more on the A story. Give more time to the A story and refine it a little and I work mean, look, on that. The B plots, particularly in Deep Space Nine, are often so bad that we don't need them. They don't yeah. do anything. And we would be better served by just giving all of our time to the A plot. I don't yeah. know. It's like they just feel like they're in this... This structure they're not allowed to play outside of for some reason. We're like, well, then we also got to have a B-plot. Yeah. But we don't throw, have any ideas for it. Throw another scene in there where Bashir's dad won't even admit that he did anything wrong mm-hmm. in a way that it's meaningful that he says the exact thing that he did wrong. And that's yes. why he says it out loud to the hologram, right? Yeah. Like, put some work into there, but they don't. Um, so... I liked it one more than you. It was a four, but, um, you know, fix your shit. Yeah. Which terms of world building, genetically enhanced humans are barred from Starfleet, barred from practicing medicine. They're developing the EMH program so that weird, lonely scientists that live on a planet with just their one underage assistant <laughs> or whatever at least can have a doctor they can turn on. Yeah, you don't have to, like, send a whole starship out to save them when yeah. they are uh, beefing it hard. Exactly. Um, there's a Federation Supreme Court... Uh, we learned about Ferengi standard marriage contracts, uh, and we learn a lot about Nog's backstory. Yeah. And Rom's uh, wife, who has been a character entirely absent from yep. the series. Not I, mentioned, just not even a ghost. I was going to say, I didn't think they ever mentioned why it was just Rom, Rom and, Nog. and Nog. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, you knew it had to be something sad because Rom's such a sad sack. Yeah, he did and, something unferengi and lost her in some way. Exactly, and that's what, it, that's what it turns out to be, right? He fell in yeah. love with his wife and her father, because, of course, women are property and on Ferengi. Her father used that to his advantage to clean Rom out, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's what happened there. Uh, oh, and we learned Dabo must work like free parking in Monopoly. The pot keeps growing until someone hits a Dabo. That's just okay. some background business Lita does in the opening scene, but since we, since Dabo is a goddamn mystery, yeah, just to I, learn anything about it. Even in STO, I just like, I don't know, I'm going to bet some credits and hopefully I win some latinum. Yeah. So, I actually thought there was world, world building here to a larger degree than normal. I gave it four. I, I Actually, I could see a five. Uh, well, we were in agreement on a four. <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. All right. All right. <laughs> Everything about the LMH, its reasons for being developed, and how to go about making one. Rom's ear powers are on display, as we talked about. Oh, yeah. The genetic boosts that make you smart and strong and shit, and the laws and consequences of such things. Everything about the Ferengi stuff that we just talked about. Uh, Agreed. There is actually kind of a lot of stuff going on here about how the stuff about Deep Space Nine works. So, um, yeah, I gave it a four as well. Um, characterization. Rom now has the hots for Lita. Again, I don't remember when that happened. I did remember Lita liking him. The Union episode, I think. Okay. Um, but he's uh, too chicken to ask her out. Some backstory about Rom's wife, uh, uh, Pomodoro or something. Rom eventually gets it together after a Quark pep talk, which is odd. Um... Bashir doesn't get along with his parents, probably because they gave him the serum when he was a kid and he's had to hide his whole life and fight alien monsters and shit, probably. I know what the serum's for. It's not for medicine. (laughs) He also thinks of himself as an abomination. Super down in the dumps about it. Um, Lita also likes Rom, but then she also thinks maybe she can be more than just a Dabo girl, because someone finally told her she could. Will she have yeah. a character arc from now well, on? Well, a man Who believes knows? in her, so... Yeah, a man finally showed up out of nowhere, and the first day he ever met her, he's like, I believe in you, you can run a cafe, maybe. You could even maybe aspire to that. And she was like, holy shit. We mostly sell sandwiches. They come in a big uh, Cisco truck. <laughs> you don't have to make them. That's right, they just kind of show up. All you really have to do is work the register, really. Work the um, register and do basic inventory and bookkeeping. That's, by the way, 500 self-improvement credits. Yep, if you want to learn how to do that. Um, is she going to have a character arc? Who knows? I, she's come up a few times in this show, and you always wonder, like, so is she going to be on the show, or are we just wasting time here? And then she goes away for a while, and then she comes back. So I don't, you know, we'll see. Um, The Bashir stuff like we talked about is not they didn't plan i don't think they planned it out in any way i I think it's just a thing they came up with that they thought sounded cool but it does give bashir a lot to play with and there's a lot going on with bashir in this episode so i gave it as much as a five um i had it one less i'm a four okay this isn't a cisco kira odo dax o'brien jake nogger cassidy episode it's barely a Quark episode, and he is a pure asshole in it. Yep. They give him a scene where he literally looks at Lita's tits and says, yeah, I hired you for your brains. <laughs> He's the worst. He 
well, we don't have to recount all of his crimes here, but just that Cisco had to tell him that he wasn't allowed to make a contract where the ladies had to fillet him or whatever. He at least he wasn't allowed to enforce that clause. Yeah. So Cisco didn't invalidate all of the contracts. It's just that one was unenforceable. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Quark's a pure asshole this week. Rom and Lita didn't do it for me. The, I Rom. I get it. Rom is very shy. Mm-hmm. Chase Masterson, who plays Lita, mm-hmm. is not playing this character as someone who likes Rom, as someone who thinks Rom is cute, right? As someone who wants to date Rom. Sure. She is standing in his personal space, eyes wide open, panting like a dog. <laughs> she is playing this character as sexual frenzy. Yeah. And while that would be intimidating, there's no way Rom could possibly not know that she will go out with him, right? Yeah. It's, it's just hard it's to imagine. unbelievable the way it's being played. And also, it's there's a reason she's playing it that way. And the DS9 writers, they didn't hire her for her brains. <laughs> I think one of the writers said that to one of the other writers, and then he's like, we should put that in the episode. Yeah, well, like, yeah, well, sure. I said it earlier. Like, I assume she knows that when they write this, they are actually talking about her. Yes. And she just has to sit there and take it. Yep. When she, when they when they have her character say, I have brains, and then have Quark look at her and say, sure, honey, I hired you for your brains. Mm-hmm. That she knows that she's there because uh, she answered a, an ad about the actual dimensions of the bodysuit she's going to wear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, this is a Bashir episode. Yeah. Um, and he's fine. He doesn't want his parents involved in this interview, but turning down the whole process is suspicious because it's an honor. So he's just kind of trapped. Yeah. And he hates his parents, oh, which, by the way, we already knew. There was already a scene where Cisco was going to Earth and he was going to go check in on O'Brien's parents. And he said, what about you, Dr. Bashir? Or Odo said it or something. And Bashir was like, no, <laughs> cool, don't. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, just don't go see them. Uh, they'll just tell you that I like pineapple or something. It's yeah. not, there's nothing there. Uh, he hates his parents cause they force him to live a lie and because it feels like they didn't really love him. They wanted something else and they made sure they got it. I wasn't blown away by Bashir in this one, but mm-hmm. I thought most of the beats landed and made sense. So even though the B plot is execrable and I didn't like anything that happened in it, yeah, I gave it a four. Right. Okay. Quick ones. Quark knows Rom likes Lita. Yes. So when he tells her, I don't think, I think he might not be interested in you. He's just mm-hmm. being a shit, right? Yeah. Or he's doing the weird thing where he you think he's convinced- doing double reverse psychology. No, where he has convinced himself that he is looking out for Rom at all times, oh, even when he's being incredibly cruel to him. Uh, and he, he thinks Lita's a bad match. Dora situation to happen. Yeah, here. he thinks Lita's a bad match for him and is going to send her away from Rom, maybe. But he is always a shit, so that's how it always comes off. They gave Cisco a line where he says to Bashir in front of Dr. Zimmerman, a man they've both just met, and no one else. I know I speak for everyone on the station when I say we're really very proud of you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just unbelievable that he would have said that. I know. 
Uh, we get bonus Picardo. He gets to play two parts at the same time. Um, and then also Bashir gets to do some parent trap where he's standing right next to his hologram too. So, and then those two holograms are arguing with each other. And then the two holograms are arguing with each other. It's really, again, this episode is pure farce. Yep. Um, Again, I also mentioned that the shifting interviewee technique was interesting in Conspiracy. I think we both called it out in that episode. It was like a little bit of business. Yeah, they tried something new, and it mostly worked. It's too much here. It's too scattershot. That's too quick. The cuts are too quick. The, no one cares about the answers to the... There's no stakes to the interview, unlike in Conspiracy. Yeah. And they, we also don't have the turning of the laptop mm-hmm. device that they used in that to cut between the interviews. Anyway didn't work as well agreed um it looks like to me there's a thin line between uh telescope ears and self umox but <laughs> well you probably just end probably up doing... nasty enough to do it to himself right there in public huh uh, well uh, the frankie have never shown any qualms about about that at all no you probably start by telescoping your ears around and then you just end with some umox it just yeah, naturally yeah, occurs yeah. probably um i noticed that sometimes cisco smiles like a slightly distracted baby <laughs> Like, he gets kind of a vacant look in his eyes and a very thin smile. And it's, it just it gets a little baby sometimes in there. Please go find a screenshot for that. I would appreciate I, it. I should. I should go back. I'm not going back. I'm not, lo- no, I'm not no, loading. I'm not trying. I'm, gonna figure, I'm not going to figure out how to make the Paramount Plus app play a different episode from the one it wants me to play just for that. I'm just going to bing Captain, ben, Captain Cisco uh, smile. Not when he's doing a big smile, when he's doing a little smile. I want to make sure the right one pops up. He's definitely not smiling here. He's looking crazy. Hey, he's got a lot of... Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, I see it. (laughs) Wait, is this a GIF? Uh, I don't like the GIF. The GIF ruins it. Um, Why is Bashir's dad doing a Michael Caine impression? Is that how that actor naturally talks? I think that's that actor's real shit. I think that's his real fucking it was voice. So weird when that dude walked in and all that Cockney accent started <laughs> happening. I was like, I was very distracted by it. Um, if you can name one useful purpose, this scene where Zimmerman sees Lita naked serves. I will yeah. give a. I will issue a bonus execution point right now. Uh, I thought that scene did nothing. He looks down and sees her naked and looks back up and goes, "Oh." <laughs> It doesn't do, even in the context of the episode, it's nothing. I agree, uh, but it was all the this episode. Is, all it is is we're supposed to think Lita's such a ditz that she went out there naked and didn't realize it. But. Yes. It is, the, it I, is, yes. It is the a episode. A bunch of writers were hanging around on set when they filmed it, for sure. I yes. get it. And it was the episode they always dreamed of making, and they were allowed to make it, so. Um, and then, you know, just the way things are in the world right now, Matt, I'll take two years in that minimum security prison in New Zealand oh. today. Yeah, please. Tomorrow. I'll cut that deal today. Yeah. I don't care. I'm on a plane, man. <laughs> put me on the, put me on the fucking plane and I'll go tromp around in middle earth and dig holes or whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And you know what? Wake me up in two years and I'll decide Summer whether or in not. Auckland. I'll decide whether or not I want to come out in two years. Yeah. Let that's me true. I want like the, I want the option, please. Give me like three hours on the internet in two years and I'll let you know whether I want to come out or not. Right, yeah, just let me scroll Reddit all for one hour in two years and I'll decide whether I'm staying. <laughs> there might be more holes to dig, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Best actor, I figure it's gotta be Bashir in this one. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the only one. But she's mom has an. Okay I was going to say, except for the mom, I don't think anyone else really does any. Which is fun because she's not an actress. Um, I could the, tell that the fucking backstory on this, Matt, is they wanted to find uh, a woman of Arab descent to play Bashir's mom, and they could not find one actress that met that criteria in 1995. That does not surprise me. That's how terrible casting was in 95. They were could like, not find okay, one. well, we think his mom should be should be of Arab descent. And, and then everyone be, looked around know, and said, where am I supposed to find one of those? About 58, 60, something like that. And they were like, listen, we got nothing. Um, we actually, we found a college professor. Is that anything? <laughs> and they said, well, she can probably read. I mean, that's a start. <laughs> we Acting up, we is just, mainly reading. We, um, we, uh, uh, we went into internet. I don't know yeah. if you guys have heard of this thing. We went to internet uh, email and all that. Serve. And uh, I just said Arab women. And uh, we just like the first first thing that came up. We just jumped on it. Um, anyway, uh, not not so not an actress, but I thought she had an, actually had a pretty okay outing. That scene was fine. The rest of the time you could kind of tell she wasn't really an yeah. actor. <laughs> uh, worst actor to Naked Lita. And... Um, and then, did you have any quick hitters? Oh, just that that guy was in Babylon 5. That was it for me. Yeah, there you go. There yeah. you go. Uh, I mean, as was Ron Canada, of course. Of course, of course. Of course, I cannot forget. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention it, but of course, of course. So, we're there. We've done. We did it. Yep. Uh, in last place with 20 points, this Voyager think tank. It's actually an improvement for them over their last few episodes <laughs> yeah they had a 20 in week 109 with the disease and then 218 cents and it was a week 107 was the last time they pumped over a 20 and yeah. before that it was week 101 so they've they had a bad run they don't spend a lot of time over 20 for sure no um and frankly tng only did one point better this week they're in Isn't second that place so with disappointing 21. i just thought yeah, that episode's gonna be trash. Of course, of course, it's but one the, of the it's one of the one fifty. But it has should have scored be points something. on the top end, right? It did not. It was did the not. worst of the week. Yeah. Uh, and that means the winner. <laughs> if you'd said to me, Judah, do you think an episode called Doctor Bashir, I presume, <laughs> is going to win its week? I would have said no chance. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely did with thirty one points. Uh, you know, a fall off from By Inferno's Light, but the same as in Purgatory Shadow. Yeah. Dr. Bashir, I presume. That's Deep Space Nine's 38th win. Oh They're now God. only seven behind TNG. Dude, next TNG's been it. fumbling the ball here. Mm-hmm. This is some bullshit. They're nice. getting close. They are getting close. Get your shit together. At least Michelle Forbes is in next week's episode. Maybe that'll push them up over the line again. Yeah, we'll see. We will see about that. Uh, next week uh, will be a mailbag week. But when we're back at this project in week 113... We are watching Conundrum. Yeah, that's the one where... We've made a no lot one... of reference to who, who's decorated and who's not. <laughs> no one just says to Worf, we all got the pips, though. Yeah. Like, we yeah. all got the pips, and you don't have that many. Yeah. So think about it. Like, you, hey, you got almost the least up here, frankly. Yeah, you got, like, so few pips. Deep Space Nine, it's, it's going to be an Odo episode, a simple investigation. Um... Well, that's not... I'm not really into that. Okay. And uh, I will be describing the next Voyager episode, which is called Juggernaut. Good. And please enjoy.
I can't wait. I, I can't wait to see what Juggernaut is and what it's about. <clears throat> I can't. I think you're going to have a really good time, though. I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, like you said, mailbag next time. I've been sending mail sporadically yes. to, to the mailbag. Not just jokes from the Edward Jellicoe account, but, but some, certainly. Um, but if you guys want to send us a mail, that would be helpful. Um, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll just prepare some stuff because I don't. I don't think any of these people have got what it takes to send us the mail. So, <laughs> but that's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Uh, that's Brothers of Brother to send us an email like they did in the '90s. Um, you can uh, go to the website brotherdate.com. So much good stuff on there, including the episodes. Yeah, of this podcast uh, and podcatchers. Uh, those you have to push down and turn the podcatchers to get Correct. the podcasts out. Otherwise, Correct. you're just going to be spinning that thing all day, and you're going to be pretty frustrated. You can't hear. Oh, I don't know, like the Ringer NBA show, or um, what's another podcast? Get played. That's one. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, push down and turn, and um, as you believe. So shall you do, so shall you do, as you, as believe, you believe, so, so shall, shall you do, Peldor Joy. And then an Earth Eagle comes up behind him from Earth and goes, Rah! It's glorious. <laughs> and then you look up and it's got a you look American up. flag bandana. <laughs> and it's an eagle from America on Earth. And everyone just goes, I guess. Please subscribe.